future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Friday, June 24th, 2022, a dark day in American history. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop podcast. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I am here once again with Amy Connect, and we are going to be breaking down the good, the bad, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And look, everybody, don't let Paul Martino and his friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack in investing to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. And we need it now more than ever. We're putting a small dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information to drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Information on that is in today's show notes. Well, this week's show, look, uh, everything just changed about uh, 10 minutes before we uh, went live on the show or before we were going to go live on the show and we had to sort it through. Supreme Court indeed just overturned Roe v. Wade. And we'll get into that. It's obviously going to dominate some of our discussions today, that's for sure. And uh, in other horrific Supreme Court news, uh, apparently we all must return to the Wild West, arming ourselves in public in case there's a call for a showdown, effectively turning all our main streets into OK corrals. Apparently, Westerns are part of the American tradition in the Constitution in this new justice's dogma. And as you might imagine, shares of Smith & Wesson rose by more than 9% on Wall Street yesterday following the news. Course, that means more gun sales, right? More guns flooding our streets. And we'll give a little update. What's happening here on the uh, the January 6 hearings? Uh, what do we make of them? Where is it going to take us? Some other news. Uh, according to a new report by the Education Data Initiative, in Pennsylvania, 661,000 student loan borrowers between the ages of 25 and 34 owe an average of more than $35,000 apiece. At more than $23 billion collectively. And 35 to 49 year olds owe an average of $46,377 each, or about $20.74 billion. Those between 50 and 61, an average of $46,929. And borrowers over 62 or an average of $45,539. Yes, that's just in Pennsylvania, folks, but American student loan borrowers across the country owe more than 
$4.7 trillion in student loan debt. Yes, we are going to see major offensives on this all summer long. Uh, we saw protests uh, from the uh, Debt Collective in Washington, D.C., and now the Biden administration, uh, their Department of Education, has agreed to cancel an additional $6 billion in student loan debt from more than 200,000 borrowers who were defrauded by their mostly for-profit college and universities. That is on top of the more than $25 billion in student loan debt the administration already canceled from more than 1.7 million borrowers. Now, supposedly, supposedly, the Biden administration will decide by August 31st if it will make good on the Biden campaign's promise to cancel at least $10,000 in student loan debt across the board. We shall see. It looks like they are pledging more than anything else to uh, make it difficult <laughs> for people to uh, figure out what is actually going to happen. So uh, we shall see, because Democrats love to make things tricky and confusing and difficult. So that's what they're planning on doing. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh yeah, there's Kim Bedillion. Kim Bedillion is like, you know, head of the Penridge GOP. Yep, she went all whack job on her kind of off the rails anti-LGBTQ crusade. Yep, taking to the papers and taking to email to basically kind of, uh, I don't know, crusade against pride <laughs> how about that welcome to the i don't know 19th century let's go to 19th century although i think 19th century may have been a little bit more lenient actually um on uh, lgbtq folks than kim bedillion and her crew are uh, there was also a meeting in penridge this week where uh, they passed the new proposal going forward well, we're probably not going to talk too much about that, but I just want to let you know um, there it will be stuff coming forward. Just as we're going to show, my uh, messages started like like going off the hook. If, I don't know if you heard the beeps in the background. So uh, some stuff uh, organizing already happening, I think, in response to um, the uh, Supreme Court decision and what's happened in Penridge. Um, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, wherever you get your streams. Head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you're not already. It should be flooding your streams, especially now. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they, don't know where the they know where the bodies are buried. I can't even get that out of my mouth. Um, make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And attention gamers, the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. With friends of the show, they get everything for Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops. Look, follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn. That's at the Game Inn on Twitter. If you've got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Also, shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. Look, folks, now more than ever, we want a progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Just go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight and we need you. Become a patron for a good price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement, the movement, the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. 
Well, Amy, welcome back to the show. How the hell are you? Hi. Hi. I was doing better until this morning. <laughs> until this morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's something. It's something. It, yeah. I mean, it wasn't unexpected. I've been anticipating um, the SCOTUS decision, you know, all week. They've been just releasing decisions left and right um i i mean i was expecting it i i wasn't i would i would have been shocked if they had not overturned it honestly <laughs> so but yeah it's definitely not something that i just uh yeah i'm still processing i'm still processing yep i hear you um we have got, uh, let me see right now, there is uh, 7 p.m. today, apparently. This is one of the notices that just came through um, on my messages. There's a protest for women's rights at 7 p.m. Uh, today. This is Friday, June 24th, the corner of Main Street and Temple Ave in Sellersville. Um, so if you're in the area, uh, feel free to check that out. I hope it's okay to distribute that. Um, I would hope so, since you, people want to come up. There's also another one um, uh, scheduled, I think, being scheduled for Doylestown for tonight um, at, by the courthouse at 6 p.m. Um, and then there is another Bands Off Our Bodies rally. Uh, this one's a little bit farther. It's down in, down in like Newtown, I think. It's uh, at 5 p.m. It's at 1717 Langhorn yep. Newtown Road. Um, Ashley Ahaz is going to speak at that one. Yes, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. I know that um, that Kirsten had sent me the information on that too. To make mm -hmm. sure we got talked about that on the show, the show today. That is, yep, that's Friday. That is today at 5 p.m. 1717 Langhorn Newton uh, Newtown Road. Uh, featured speaker Ashley Ahas. Um, and uh, you know, uh, show up where you can today, folks. Um, it's uh, it's it is a a freaking dark day. I mean, I don't know how else we put it. I mean, this is. You know, it, it is definitely a dark day. Um, I mean, for the moment, I mean, nothing's going to change like right off the bat, right? Like Pennsylvania doesn't have any type of trigger laws or anything um, set into place. But I mean, it's not to say, I mean, we have we have a GOP um, run state legislature. So they've already <laughs> this is this is not something that it's, it's going to it's it's just I don't even know, um, like rambling this morning um it's just important we have to, to to get out to these protests to let our representatives know that you know this is not going to be tolerated in pennsylvania right like pennsylvania women are not going to be second class citizens no women in the united states should be second class citizens um but you know here i live in pennsylvania um we need to we need to protect that we also need to make sure that everybody gets out and remembers who they're voting for in november as well because you know, we have a choice between either Shapiro or, or Doug Mastriano, who is definitely going to uh, reverse any type of uh, protections for women, for abortion care, for reproductive care in the state. 100 percent. And I think uh, if anybody has seen the latest polls on this, um, they are not encouraging. Um, you've got uh, Josh Shapiro's running about 44 percent um, people saying to support him and Mastriano is running about 40 percent. Um, and that is within the polls margin of error. I think, I believe if I'm remembering correctly, I think the margin of error was 4.4% on that. So that's basically within the polls margin of error with, uh, roughly, um, 19 or maybe it's 16, maybe I'm flipping that number in my head, um, percent of people saying they had yet to be, uh, were undecided. 
Um, and look, and then you also got, you know, Josh Shapiro's campaign playing with fire um, by basically uh, spending money on ads that are basically kind of promoting Mastriano. We're promoting Mastriano for the primary, um, you know, trying to pull a Clara McCaskill um, by saying, OK, I'm, I'm going to try to pick my opponent the most extreme one possible. Um, and run against them because, you know, the Democratic consultant class believes that's the easiest one to beat, uh, forgetting that uh, Doug Mastriano has got some deep roots here and he's got, you know, he's got foot soldiers. Um, and so I, you know, I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk um, at all. But I think that just like just what you said, Amy, is, you know, there is no doubt if Doug Mastriano um, is elected that Pennsylvania um, will become abortion will be illegal in Pennsylvania. Uh, in yeah, not order. even abortion. I mean, this is this is see this see this is what people I think some people don't understand, right? This isn't just affecting abortion. This isn't just affecting, you know, whether or not I can make a decision to go to a clinic and end a pregnancy, right? This is this has to do with reproductive rights. This has to do with birth control. This has to do with hormone therapies. You know, this has to do with a whole range of of healthcare. Um, different healthcare uh, options and plans and, and factors, right? That when you deal, you know, with women, right? Because we have a whole different system and we have to, there's different things, right? Like it's just, it's how it is. And this is essentially going to be limiting um, access to proper care. I mean, you know, in some states right now you have, I think it's like in Texas, I think it's Texas, don't quote me, but they have like this law on the book that's going to go into effect, like immediately, basically, um, that says like women... You know, if, if you have a miscarriage, like you're liable to like be prosecuted. I mean, a miscarriage, something completely normal, right? That happens all the time. <laughs> um, and, and it's just, and then like, you know, so are you supposed to be afraid to go to the hospital because you're having a miscarriage? You know, like, I, I don't know how this is going to work. I just feel like it's basically, it, it, it it's just, it's putting these large blanket, like just, controls over what you are allowed to do with internal things right this isn't like uh, ah man i'm so irritated right now no i hear you but i mean you know just like it is it's just it's access it's going to it's going to stop access it's going to limit access for women on a whole host of range of of, of things right not just like i said abortion um a whole bunch of other options i mean planned parenthood for one i don't know how many Teenage women, teenage girls have used Planned Parenthood since its inception. I mean, I know I used it as a teenager. I know most of my friends got like birth control from there. Yep. They went and they would go to Planned Parenthood for your regular gynecological exams, like just different stuff, you know, that wasn't necessarily available or that you could go to your regular doctor for. And, and this is going to destroy all of that. It's going to force women into back alleys, into back closets, and it's going to create an entirely new host of issues women are going to start dying yep i mean there's no way there's no other way around it i mean i think it's and we have to be saying it i think that plainly i mean this is this is what we're talking about i mean and it's not these are not you know it's not just an abstract decision i mean this is your people's lives like women's lives are going to be destroyed um and ended because of this decision yeah. Um, I mean, and there's no alternatives. Like they're not saying we don't want abortion. So we're going to offer all of these other things. So, you know, availability for contraceptives, information, you know, sex education, like they're not offering any of that stuff. Like they don't want any of that as well. Right. Like, so there's no preventative measures other than um, basically just don't be a woman. <laughs> 
Right. And don't have sex. Right. And don't have sex unless it's under the protection of a male. Right. Who was the head of the house. I mean, because this is really what it's all about. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, this is all about kind of white supremacist patriarchy. (laughs) This is really what it is. It is about controlling women. Like it's controlling women's not it, it's not just reproductive rights. It's like using the using the reproductive rights and act and control of her bodies to to control women at large. Because once you do that, you strapped in everything else. Right. I mean, you've made everything subservient to men's control over women's bodies, period, or the state's control over women's bodies now. Yeah. And that's what it's going to end up being is it's going to be a state. It's going to be a state controlled thing. So I'm just, I'm really starting to like, it makes me really wonder about all of these places because how is this going to affect? I know another, like I said, Texas again, you know, they have, they're, they're, they're starting to prosecute um, parents, right? Of, yep. of who have allowed their children to do like uh, gender replacement or, or hormone therapy treatments and stuff like that and everything. So, like, what's to say that's going to, not happen here right like i i just i see this just tumbling i just see a downward spiral of of a lot of civil rights being rolled back at the moment yeah and let's look at this i mean like like what you have with um the only reason why we don't have you know restrictions on abortion in the state right now um is because tom wolf vetoed every single bill that kind of went forward to his office so you have one person has basically stood in the way of this moving forward, right? Now, the other thing that's happening is that, look, the anti-abortion people are organized extraordinarily well, and they're well-funded. So you can count on the fact that they are going to be showing up to the polls in the fall, right, for these midterm elections. And this is not just for the midterm in terms of what's happening at the federal level, although that's going to be important too as well, because, look, I think as soon as it... The Dem- if the Democrats hold on to Congress to hold on to the House, that's going to be a heavy lift. If they don't, there will be legislation that will be issued probably almost instant, like uh, uh, right at the beginning of the session uh, for a federal ban on abortion. That would be my guess. But more importantly for us right now, like immediately, is that if those people turn out, right, turn out for election, and they will turn out for the election in the midterms, because those Republicans and the right wings in particular consistently turn out. That could turn, if you talk about four point margin right now, that could turn the governor's mansion, or that could increase the majority of the Republicans and right wing Republicans so that they could override a veto. So, I mean, this is like, I mean, how much more critical can this election possibly be? Right. Um, how much more critical can it be for us to organize and or, and like, you know, keep the eye on the freaking prize right now, too, as well? Um, you know, enough of this bullshit kind of like, you know, pecking at each other. Right. For like whatever, because your issue is not perfect or something like this. And this issue is not perfect. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, we're at the point right now where we're watching the like the fall of a like the fall of the 20th century before our eyes. And, you know, whatever, suck it up, get out and freaking vote. I don't know what the hell to tell you. I mean, at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous because what like what you had said about having one person stand in the way. I mean, one person. That's that's not that's not how this should be. Right. I mean, it, it shouldn't. It's 
it's ridiculous and it just and it goes to show you how like the gop right like they don't care what it doesn't matter like what the majority of americans want or what the majority of a particular group wants in a, in a state like they don't it, it's it doesn't matter right like it's only about their agenda and that's how and that's how this is being played out like across the entire about the entire country i mean and people and and see the other thing too is like we have they they're gearing up for 2024 right yep. they're gearing up for uh, another presidential election and all of this stuff is going to come into play right like i mean can you even imagine if we were to get another president like trump in there and then you know think about what could possibly happen to the rest of the supreme court i mean we only have what three liberal justices left on there i mean i don't think they're going anywhere but the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we've if if the entire dynamic of, of how our democratic processes work is just completely flipped on its head. I mean, it's already started. Yep. Yep. Well, let me uh, let's let's kind of take a look at just the the first the reporting from the AP, just so that we get this on the record um, for here. So this is how the AP describes it. Because look, there was a lot of uh kind of in the chattering class right uh i guess i guess this we're part of that in this show here but i mean a lot of the folks in uh commentaries well maybe alito's going to soften this or maybe the the you know they're going to kind of do it's not um so and to, to amy's point before um we're talking about the trigger laws there are 13 states um that currently have trigger laws that um automatically um just basically went into effect as of this decision Right. And those states are Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Tennessee and Kentucky. Right. So they're there. All right. So here's how the AP reported this um, this morning it says the Supreme Court has ended constitutional protections for abortions that had been in place nearly 50 years in a decision by its conservative majority to overturn Roe v. Wade. Friday's outcome is expected to lead to abortion bans in roughly half the states, half the states. The decision, unthinkable just a few years ago was the culmination of decades of efforts by abortion opponents made possible and emboldened uh, by an emboldened right side of the court that has been fortified by three appointees of former President Donald Trump. The ruling came as more than a month after a stunning leak of, leak of a draft opinion by Justice Samuel Alito indicating the court was prepared to take this momentous step. It put the court at odds with the majority of Americans who favored preserving Roe, according to opinion polls. Alito, in the final decision issued on Friday, wrote that Roe and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the 1992 decision that reaffirmed the right to abortion, were wrong the day they were decided and must be overturned. Quote, we therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives, Alito wrote. Authority to regulate abortion rests with the political branches, not the courts, Alito wrote. And there you go. Um, it's pretty clear that this court decision, I, I'll, I'll fully admit, I have not fully read the final um, opinion in part because, like I said, it was like, I think when Amy got on this morning, it was like nine minutes, right, um, before we first kind of got rolling that this, uh, this news broke. Um, but from the reporting that I've been able to skim, 
it looks like the decision is pretty close to what we saw in the leaked draft opinion from Alito. Yeah, it sounds like, a, I mean, that's basically what the draft opinion said was Alito was basically stating how, e, e, oh my God, there's that word, <laughs> how completely, <laughs> how completely um, wrong that, you know, Roe was and then Casey too, on top of it. So, I mean, I, to, to, I don't think he was going to soften his stance on it, especially. Um, I, I'm a little surprised about Roberts, though. I'm not sure where he stood on this. I haven't looked at the... I haven't looked at the, 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 the paperwork yet or anything like that <laughs> on the decision. So I'm not really sure, but I would like to read the, I, I really am interested in reading the dissenting opinions. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, look, I mean, this, this shows, I mean, look, in my mind, you know, I, I've grown decidedly less hopeful that um, information by itself will uh, kind of break through and show people things, right? Um, this kind of enlightened version of what knowledge does. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, for those of us who are paying attention to politics on a, a fairly regular basis, I mean, this should rip off any last vestiges of belief that the Supreme Court is somehow above politics. I mean, the Supreme Court now is a 100% like, um, you know, it's a captured institution by the by the by the right. And it is a political body and they're going to continue to do this. The next decision, for example, that it's expected to um, to drop um, or the, I should say the next hugely momentous decision is supposed to be dropped is supposed to um, basically, uh, you know, strip the our ability to address climate change. Right. Is basically to strip the. Um, administration away from environmental protection such that um, we're, it's going to be virtually impossible um, to address climate through um, kind of executive action or through organizations like the EPA. I mean, it's just, you know, this is that kind of libertarian future that people keep on saying, you know, that, that they want, we, oh, the, get the government out of it. It's never that. The government is never out of our lives. It's just a question of who is the government serving, what interest is it serving, mm -hmm. and who is paying the price. Exactly. And look, That's just exactly. so you look at the, yeah, you look at this ruling, and this is what it says in the AP report too as well. And this is something that's been reported on again and again and again. But you want, why did I say white supremacist patriarchy? Well, here you go, because the ruling is expected to disproportionately affect minority women who already face limited access to health care, according to to statistics analyzed by the associate um, the Associated Press, right. This is this will this will have a disproportionate effect effect on people of color, uh, on the poor, right? Whether you're rural or urban, doesn't matter whether where the hell you are, you're screwed if you're a woman now, right? If you've got the means, you're going to be fine, right? This will be the return to that like Victorian, uh, oh, we're going to go traveling for the summer, where you're kind of rich aunt. Will yeah, right. Your rich aunt will take you over to Europe, right, um, for a special kind of continental tour uh, where you can kind of get things taken care of. And nobody oh needs to know. It's <laughs> Christ. But I don't I, think we can all like I don't think we all have the ability to disappear for, you know, nine months, and magically reappear. <laughs> right, exactly. And be like, oh, I was just visiting Paris. Right. I mean, <laughs> Well, I mean, and what you 
see when you you had pointed out so when you had rattled off the, the states right so some of those states are mississippi and louisiana right did i hear louisiana in there yep. yeah so mississippi and louisiana have by far and people should know this the worst rankings in healthcare. Like they have the worst rankings out of all of our states for basically anything, right? Including education, health health um healthcare services and stuff like that. So this is already going to impact in, in incredibly impoverished states already, right? And it's just going to make things even worse. Like I I I am so upset that this is happening. I mean, obviously for, for people, you know, for me and for every woman everywhere, but for, for these women who are living in these states, right, who have no protections at the moment anyway, who are already living under incredible hardships, um, who don't already have access to things. Um, and now this on top of it, I, I, I mean, so now you're also going to be looking at too, is you're going to be having women who are going to be punished. They are going to be punished. Well, that's really what this is, right? I mean, this is really about bringing the draconian kind of, you know, it really is, you know, this is this is where you have, you know, state violence. I mean, this is essentially like instituted, systematized, normalized state violence. Yeah. Um, directed, you know, and, and it, you know, you could dress it up in whatever kind of, you know, pretend legal code that you can have. Um, it is about the control of more than half of the population. Um, and again, a punishment of those folks, uh, particular people of color, women of color in particular, um, that this, you know, I hate to put it this way, but, um, you know, this is one of the things I've had conversations with, with, with multiple people over the past, you know, couple months where, you know, I end up saying this, well, you know, they're, they're talking, especially like liberals who, who like to get into, well, you know, and the legal doctrines, they like to kind of abstract it. Um, and I'm like, look, they keep on talking about rooted in American tradition, right? I mean, it's just a load of garbage, except, you know, there is some truth to it, however, right? And they're like, well, see, even you, yeah, there's some, you know what the truth is? The truth is the American tradition is slavery is genocide, is patriarchy, is hierarchy, is systematized sanction for, I don't know, goon squads going out lynching people. That's American history. That's tradition in this culture. And so, yeah, the question, so that that's the tradition that they're calling back to, that they're calling all of us back to. So really the question for us is not like, it's the, which traditions do you look to? Right. Because you know what? For every one of those traditions of like lynching people, there's the traditions of people standing up and organizing against that to the assertion of we have these rights too. we want to expand democracy. That is also an American tradition. So the question is not tradition versus non-tradition. It's which tradition are you going to choose to uphold? And that is precisely why this Supreme Court, we can see, is a clearly political body choosing to uphold the worst traditions of this country. I don't so know how to say. This is why education is so important, Kevin, because people don't know that. Yep. People don't know that. They're, they they only, especially when it comes to American history, you know, they're, they're only taught a lot of times, our children are only taught about the exceptional 
things that have happened. It's not really everything bad is always just kind of downplayed um, or it always justifies the end. Right. Like they always there's always this way to justify whatever happened in the past makes it OK. Everything now is like makes that OK. Um, and that's just not how it is uh, in the least little bit. But that's where people get upset about, right? Because they will talk about that tradition of American exceptionalism, of democracy, and this and that. But I mean, the second you bring up, oh, well, you know, that wasn't for everybody. There, there's always like, but it's not like that now, right? Like we fixed it all. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so which tradition then are you looking at? Are you looking at the problem where like these people didn't have rights? Or are you looking at the tradition where they gained the rights, right? Where they stood up and, and they did that. I mean, if you look at the women's movement, you know, are we looking at a tradition of, 200 300 some years of women not really having rights or are we looking at you know the past uh a uh, uh, hundred years or so where women have had some say right and what goes on in politics and and stuff like that and had a voice yep so i mean you're right i think that really definitely hits it on the nail so when people talk about that when they do talk about our traditions and our past yeah, it's like, which, you know, I, I always remember there was a time in my life, like even even during like even during like my punk rock years. Right. Which uh, in you know, in many years, in many ways, I was, uh, you know, some of outward, probably some of the more outwardly cynical um, times that I've had. Right. When I'm thinking about kind of America, but inwardly hopeful. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is like. You know, it's probably when I had the, the sharpest criticisms ever of like of this country, of of capitalism. And, you know, again, many of them I just carry with me now. I mean, they're just like, you know, they've got there's more books and background and history, you know, that, that fills out the just, you know, straight up rage of it. But um, but even then, you know, there was part of the hopefulness I always felt about this country. Right. Was that those traditions of people standing up and organizing and fighting back? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that the past, I don't know, let, let, we'll call it, let's just call it five years, six years for that matter, have slowly disabused me of, of any, any kind of remaining thought that kind of like everybody shares in these kind of, you know, like we all hold those up as kind of like, you know, it's only a small number of people who don't like that kind of like people organized to fight back and gain their rights. And, you know, I, I think that I had always held this in many cases, unconscious um, feeling that, you know, that's part of what it means to grow up in this culture is that even if you're, you know, conservative for that matter, or even if you're, if you grow up in this culture, part of how your identity gets formed, right, through what we learn in our history and things, is that idea of that rebellious spirit, right, about the idea we're going to stand up to our injustices. And, you know, as, you know, MLK, you know, famously said, you know, the the arc towards freedom is long, but it, or arc, the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. And, you know, I kind of bought into that progressive narrative, you know, that, you know, it it's going to take the fight and it's those people that are, are the motors that going. And I still believe all that stuff. But what has happened, you know, for a variety of other reasons, we can't go into all of them now, but a variety of reasons what has happened is like there's there's a solid group of people in this country who don't don't believe, don't buy into, and actually see that narrative as part of the enemy of their own personal lives. So that going into our schools, what we've been fighting here in school boards over and over again, right, is the idea that 
having a education is a place where kids are going to learn and expand what they see and kind of run into things that are new to them. Right. And being able to grapple with the kind of these differences and, and, and different ways of thinking about stuff and kind of growing as a human being that that's being clamped down on. There are people that just want to control and limit the ability of human development um, and to keep it in this little white, pristine, backward looking um, worldview. And I, I, I think definitely underestimated the strength and the depth of those uh, of those people. Um, I, I'll, I'll say that now. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah. <clears throat> well, and, and that's it. Like, I, I don't, I had a thought and I lost it. I'm sorry. I just... <laughs> oh, no, don't be. <laughs> I'm just a rambler. <laughs> I was thinking and I just, I totally lost it. Oh, God. But what you're saying about the school, edu uh, like, for school boards and stuff, that, that is important, right? We have, um, like, they talk about, you know, we have, like, a declining enrollment issue up here in Palisades. And this wasn't in our show notes or anything, but <laughs> they, um, you know, that sometimes I get the feeling that sometimes some of the school board members and some of the community members are a little astounded as to why people wouldn't want to come up here, right? Well, I mean, other than the lack of housing, right? That's that's a big issue. Um, but on top of that, you know, I don't really feel like as if the curriculum, there's nothing really particularly wrong with the curriculum, but at the same point, it's not as inclusive as it probably could be. And I don't think that it's properly preparing um our children for the real world, for people who want to move away from this area. You know, not everybody wants to stay in farm country, right? right. Not everybody's right. a farmer and people want to move away and children want to go to colleges. And I'll tell you something. I was in, I don't know how many college classes a few years back uh, when I was doing community college at Bucks County. And I was in a lot of classes with, with students from Quakertown, with Penn Ridge, from Central Buck, like for, for this whole area from Palisades. And they were a lot of them in a lot of their history classes and a lot of like um i'm gonna say even like sociology classes like all of these different any any type of classes that had to deal with society these these kids were like clueless they're like oh we didn't learn that like we weren't told that like yep. they have no they a lot of them just were like completely clueless like you said on on to as actually how things work right how our government works how our systems of democracy work like all this stuff like they have no idea they they were even unsure as of our own history how are we supposed to make changes if this is the education that we're pushing out to our kids it, it's supposed to give them just enough so they follow orders right because <laughs> that's how i look at it yeah i I agree. And, you know, I've said this on the show before. I, I think that so much of this, so much of this school board nonsense, so much of this, you know, anti-DEI stuff, you know, it almost feels like it comes down to the parents who have maybe racist or classist or like right-wing views about the world don't want to be confronted by their own kids yeah. by saying that that is something racist, <laughs> mommy, <laughs> dad, like you're a homophobe, right? you know, like, and this is why did you know that? And I almost think it's like at that level, they just don't want to hear it. They want their kids to fall in line 
and they're going to they want to do it by depriving them of alternative ways of seeing the world. Right? Well, they are. They, they, they are. And that's and that's what I've been seeing in Central Box. That's what I've been seeing in Penridge. This is what I've been a little bit in Palisades. Palisades is a bit off the rails. We're so small. Um, but, you know, there there has been that. Right. Like we have um, we have our own Kim Bedillion lady up here in Palisades. <laughs> anyway, and she puts out stuff like uh, her, her messaging is all about like straight pride. Right. Like she'll put that stuff up so on her social media crazy. accounts. Yeah. Like straight straight pride with like the typical pictures of like a 1950s um uh, uh white bride with the with the guy in the suit and like it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous but that that alone that's is mentality but that's the mentality yeah because that's for how long like i look i look back at some of these generations and like this is like if i look back at some like my parents right like my mom my stepfather and stuff like that they were so entrenched in that right like they were blue collar working class but it was all about that white patriarchal hierarchy they lived within that right so if when i started as a teenager start like poking around at some of that stuff it was met with like instant resistance no i was wrong oh the schools are or, or they're being infiltrated and they're teaching wrong stuff like so i don't think things have changed in that area um, I just think it's getting worse. Yeah. It has gotten worse. Well, and I think a lot of that, that, I mean, that goes to a lot of, I mean, what has motivated, you know, this show, Raging Chicken, a lot of other, you know, progressive work that's been going on in the media stuff is basically pointing to the fact that, yeah, the big difference is the sheer amounts of money and systematic organizing kind of on the right being supported by legislation at the top, right? Um, all that stuff going on. And, you know, a Democratic Party, that has moved further and further away from its working class roots to kind of embrace this kind of technocratic professional middle class way of being without an ideology. You know, I mean, it's like um, I think all those things kind of have gotten us to this point. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, look, I mean, I remember being like in the 80s, like you say, growing up in the 80s and even the well, 70s, I don't remember that much about. But like the 80s is like, um, you know, there were lots of racists around then too, right? And there were lots of freaking sexists over there too as well. Probably even more more overt sexist then than there are now, right? And I say overt sexist, right? Meaning like, you know, people felt was perfectly fine to kind of make overtly sexist comments to women like out in the open and other people would be like, oh, good one, <laughs> right? Whereas now there's a little bit less of that. Not that it doesn't exist, Right. But, you know, that kind of idea. Right. So there was people there. The difference is, is that now those are organized groups doing that, mm -hmm. that are well funded and have training sessions about how to pull the levers of power. Right. So you got the same assholes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, but now now you've got like, you know, the, the you know, you got trained monkeys now. Right. Like now they're they've gone to school and they're taught how to bring their assholeness right um to the seats of power in our communities. And that's like I don't know. I hate to put it in those ways, but you know if the suit well, fits. And I, and I look at it I think it's part of a larger issue too. I mean, there was something that I had I found interesting what was it like last year was the one school board candidate up here, Cora Landis, that she was running. She had put she had posted something to her campaign page at one point about how she felt she was a minority, right, as a conservative Christian woman. And I I looked into that a little bit and I'll tell you something. So a lot of the backlash, I think, 
that we're experiencing now is because, you know, our world has become more diverse. It has become more inclusive, like on a global scale, right? Globalization is definitely taken over. And our world, when you look at like complexions has become darker, right? We have more intermingling. We have more intermarriages. We have people from different ethnic backgrounds associating with each other, meeting people, right? So you have this intermingling and you have relationships and you just, you have this explosion, I think, of globalization. And I think that's really scary for a lot of these people, right? Because they're they're afraid of it like impacting something about their life i i don't really know (laughs) i keep wondering like how all of this impacts people's lives and how it's affecting them like how is having a neighbor who who is a married gay couple affecting you you know is it because you don't want your children to see that is is, so if and like you really have to think about it if that's really deep down these people are uncomfortable with this this type of stuff they're uncomfortable with brown and black people they're uncomfortable with alternative lifestyles i guess if you want to call that alternative um and then it really comes back they really need to take a look at themselves because it really comes down to um because if you're not okay it is why why are they not okay is it hurting them is it is it doing something detrimental most of the time majority of the time it's no right it's never anything like that it's just people are uncomfortable and and they're just they're either homophobic or they're racist and they have to atone for that. They need to become accountable for that. And people don't want to do it. And I see this yep. problem. I, I feel like I feel like the, the white group, as I want to call it, is being backed into a corner, or at least they feel like they're being backed into a corner. It's like this perceived threat, you know, of, of globalization. I don't know if that made sense. No, it totally does. But it, you know, this is it's it's funny because it goes it goes to this it goes to this whole idea that. You know, there's a thing on the Majority Report, for example, podcast I listen to regularly, right? There's always this back and forth where about kind of like the zero sum game, right? There's always got to be winners and losers and things like this. And there's, you know, there Jamie, uh, who used to be on the show um, kind of a while back, she and Sam Cedar, who's the main host, used to used to get in this back and forth all the time about um, does there need to be a zero sum game? And and what Sam Cedar would always used to say would be say, yeah, look, there that white guy right is is going to lose something right um and it's regardless of what it is and what Jamie would always say is like no it, does, it doesn't have to be that way and they never quite got to this what what I used to we'd be like screaming into the podcast thing like <laughs> no no it's like because I think they both had, had were were right about some an aspect of that and the way I always think about it is like this is that like look that that the the, the white person only loses something if their identity is rooted in the fact that they are on top, mm-hmm. right, and they must preserve the purity of their whiteness and those traditions, it's. Re- I mean, this is where it, it. This is white supremacy, like as as deeply as possible, because you have to believe, like in you have to believe, for example, in genetics that kind of you cannot you cannot dilute the white blood. Right. You have to at some core level, you have to believe that you have to believe that whiteness is a specific culture that is superior to others. Right. And that it must not be polluted. It's all rooted into the same kind of like discourse that in fascist discourse, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. Because because like I look at it like this, like with, you know, and it took me a long time to understand that people who think that way, it's like this orthodoxy. Right. So like if I was like if I was Christian Right. And my neighbor was Muslim. Right. I could perceive that as a threat because it's different 
right? That it, it acknowledges that there's a different, there's a someone else who believes it differently, right? And I can see that as a threat. So therefore, I need to eliminate that threat to me being able to see only myself on TV, for example, right? Um, I don't want them, them to be on TV. I want only myself to be on TV. But then the other thing is like, hey, I'm a Christian. You're a Muslim. I don't know a lot about Muslims. Hey, why don't you come over for kind of like a cookout? And, we, you know, I'd love to meet you and kind of, you know, and there's that opportunity for expansion, right? I mean, the opportunity for kind of like what I always thought what I always thought was like the richness of democracy, right? Multi-ethnic, multi, you know, multiracial democracy where you're learning from differences, right? That's what expands what we think, right? Um, but so it's the only people who lose in this model, right? Because I gained something from that, right? I don't lose anything by, by expanding what I know about the world because someone else is different and doesn't share my experiences, right? right? I might feel a little vulnerable because I'm unaware, Right. But I can only expand. I'm a winner in that case. But in order to in order to make myself a winner in that in that philosophy, I cannot be rooted in an orthodoxy about purity. Right. I, I can't. And so it's only those people who have this assumption that it's their way or the highway that lose anything. So really, what's the threat to them? The threat to them is that their way is not the only way. And they don't get to tell everybody else what to do. And if they're threatened by that, too fucking bad. I'm sorry. You will lose. <laughs> right? Well, and that's so, and that's why they call it like a perceived threat, right? Or like, because it's not, it's all in your perception. It's not like somebody is actively like holding a gun to your head or holding a knife to you and being like, you have to do things this way. And, right. and it is, it is very much. Um, how people view things um, and it also too goes to like so you'll have you'll have a lot of these people too and they they might be like you right like just oh my gosh this is cool we've like this new person like we should invite them over for a cookout whatever but then you also get that point where like well I'm not racist right or I'm not homophobic or, or whatever because they you know they they've engaged Right. People engage or, or they're nice or they talk or they have a friendship or whatever. But the fact of the matter is. But then when you start talking about like our government and about how like these systemic issues, that's when it becomes an issue. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, that's not that's not how it's really set up. Right. So like you have these different levels, too, of, of this problem of like people, um, you know, realizing where they where they are in it. Right. And like where their place is. You know, are you are you exhibiting racist or homophobic behavior uh, and stuff like that? These thoughts and everything else, you know. And if you're not, that's great. But like, if you can't understand that our system, our government institutions, are completely like immune, to, like if if you think they're immune to that stuff, which are are designed by people who had these, <laughs> you know, biases. Um, and they haven't changed, like, they, you know, in the institution, some of these go back right, like a really long time. So they haven't changed and these biases haven't been taken out of those institutions. And that's what like really, I think that more than anything is what really gets me about these type of situations, right? Because you can work on people individually, like, right? Like you can do that. But when you're dealing with these massive institutional, uh, 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 just, you know, um, I, I, they're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? They're just they're they're concrete in our society, right? Like they're definitely like um, 
systemic. Wow, I can't like, yeah, I can't think of the word this morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, you, you have to be able to remove yourself from that and you have to be able to understand that like, I may not feel this way. Right. But like these laws are definitely, they were put forth at a time when people felt differently and they're not okay anymore. And like, I don't know why that is such an issue. Right. Because that's then where I think people feel like they're going to lose. That's when, like, as soon as the law gets changed or this policy gets changed, somehow they are going to lose something on top of it. When all that usually really is what happened is you just include right. people. That's all it is. It's usually what it is. And, and, and generally, on a day to day basis, you are not losing a single thing at all. No. And it's like, I, I, you know, Rick Smith always used to say this, like he's like, you know, he'll say I or still does say this, not always used to, but he always says this. He's like, so I never he's like, I just never understood when these you have these people and he's, you know, he runs it, you know, he he runs into people all the time and he talks to have these conversations to people like, like I don't have the patience for it. he does. But he's like, you know, somebody was like was talking about doesn't want to have gay marriage because, right, it's going to like it's going to infringe upon the sanctity of his marriage. Right. And then, you know, Rick's is like, how does like that guy marrying that guy, right, have anything to do with you? <laughs> right? It's like, what is that? How does like th- those people, those two women, right, kind of like falling in love with one another and getting married, how does that have anything to do with your marriage? <laughs> right. You know, it's like, it makes it like you just a very basic level, like, what does it do? I mean, so just like you said, it's like an including, oh, more people have kind of access to this thing, like, like two people who love each other and that kind of they want to make a commitment to one another. Right. And enter into this particular form of a relationship. OK, great. OK, fine. How does that affect me? It really doesn't. Right. You know, if at a baseline, like my marriage with my wife, like how does that affect? It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. I mean, everything that was there before the law change is there after the law change right there's no nothing taken away from me right it's only in like you know this this perceived thing or in the preservation of one particular way of doing and this is why i think like this i I mean i'm not trying to force it back to the supreme court stuff but this is why i think the supreme court stuff is so dangerous right because what it does is it basically says from the top Mm -hmm. right we are going to force a particular vision of what how people's lives should be ordered on everybody, right? And that's going to be the baseline. And, you know, and I think, and I pair that with that other decision that they made this week about, you know, basically saying, hey, you got the right to kind of like, you know, carry guns wherever you want. Yeah, right? they, they, you know, they were even talking about that within DC, right? Like I, I, <laughs> I guess that's the answer. That's always their answer. We have such a gun issue in our country, and their answer is to fix it with more firepower. Yep. Yep. That's and like throwing fire on fire. Like it's not going to work. No, and it's like it's like, and they, and they they basically said, well, hey, all you states that restrict like uh, the carrying of kind of handguns or carrying of weapons like in the streets of your cities, all of you who put a law against that stuff, that's unconstitutional. So you got to go back and fix those. And so yeah, now, you wait, though. You wait, Kevin. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna backtrack on that. You wait because the the second there's non-white people with guns, it's always a problem, right? Yep. Always. Well, that's where the always. first right, the first major gun legis- uh, gun re- restrictions came from, 
right? Mm-hmm. Is the Black Panthers decided like, yep. you know what? <laughs> we're going to we're going to go out and watch the cops, right? And we're going to make sure that those people don't get don't get beat up and we're going to have our long arms, right? We're going to have our long our long guns with us openly displayed as we're legally allowed to do. And then that's when the first the first restrictions on those those kind of carries happen. Right? Now of course we just I don't I don't know how they're supposed to explain this to a city like Philadelphia. Yeah. Which is having such a huge yep. issue with, with crime and gun violence. And now you're just being like, okay, so now it's okay for everybody to just start walking around with a gun and you know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course you know what's gonna happen. That's what I'm saying. Everything's turning into the okay corral. Right? I mean like seriously, if you're walking around you're walking around with a with a handgun, like you just you just you're walking. You're, so where are you allowed? This is the question, right now. Where are you allowed to bring that gun? Well, you know, at the OK Corral, right? Like only the lawmen were allowed to have guns. You weren't really supposed to have guns in the city limits, anyway. Fair enough. Good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Even my spaghetti western reference is inaccurate to our current out of control gun laws. <laughs> That's right. You had to check your guns before you were That's allowed right. at that saloon. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I think you know the, the, what they're what they were pointing to now after the the aftermath of the decision. They were talking. Oh, look! Now the question is 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 going to be a series of lawsuits that are going to be filed. The, the immediate because you know like like Kathy Hochul of New York, governor of New York, basically came out immediately and says, "Okay, we're going to have a special session that we're going to we're going to set up that we're going to review these laws to make them compliance because they don't want to kind of things to go nuts." What's going to happen? So if you restrict, you're not allowed to have. Now, Brett Kavanaugh actually kind of chimed in and basically said, well, you know, there's some reasonable places where you can restrict these things. That's not going to hold. We've seen every other precedent. Reasonable places like schools. Right. You you shouldn't be able to carry a gun in there. But like, why? What's the logic? I mean, like if you if you have an unconditional right to bear arms. Right. Where where does it stop? Where does a state be, say that it can do this? It already says, right, in that decision, in the decision mm-hmm. that opened all this stuff up, it already says the state can do this. And now they just overturned those laws where it said that the state could make reasonable restrictions. Okay, so now you've done that. So can I bring a handgun into a bar? Because guess what? There's People potential threats in a bar. Somebody, I, I'm worried for my safety in a bar because there's other people there that might fight me. So I need to be able to carry my handgun into a bar, right? Mm-hmm. Because without it, I'm potentially at, at risk of kind of, of of getting hurt. So I need to be able to protect myself. That's going to be the argument. And, you know, I just, yeah, I mean, like, hey, a whole bunch of people sitting in a bar drinking with guns. You see where that ends up. I mean, come on. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like it's bad, right? It it's, is, and it, they're harping on because it, because the, the GOP likes to harp on the whole you know good guy with a gun mythology, right? So, and but I mean, did you see what Ted Cruz has put out this past week? No. Not that anybody really cares about Ted Cruz. What did Gollum <laughs> say? What did well? <laughs> that's an insult to Gollum. He um, Fair enough. Ted Cruz. I don't know. He 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 wants to have guns in schools and i guess he was putting something forth in in the senate it was either in the senate or in his own state about you know allowing 
arming teachers and these people and, and stuff like that. So that's what he wants to do. He says the only way to protect our children, basically, is if we have armed guards in schools. I just say arm the kids because the kids are going to see the danger first. And like, you know, for what I understand, kids have a lot, a lot less kind of like worried about social morales and things like this. So, you know, they have no problem shooting that bad guy. Right, right away, you know, wouldn't even kind of cause, you know, just because whatever. And, you know, matter of fact, you could have games, right? You know, the kids could get trained about how to use weapons in school. It'd be great, right? So, you, you, that's what I mean. Like, where, where is it going to stop with all that well, stuff? Well, that's, that's just like, it. I mean, the whole, I, like, who wants to, no, mind you, I understand that there are schools that have, you know, a lot of law enforcement in them. I don't agree with that period right i don't think that school should be a place for any of that i don't think you should have parole officers i don't think you should have probation officers i don't think you should have law enforcement like i don't even like it when the cops randomly walk around schools once in a while i just don't really think that's the place for that um i i i don't i don't know i just i i don't know like i i'm not really sure this is you're you're kind of right because it does remind me of the wild west right like there is so little regulation i think on something like this and it is it's just going to create this like major host of problems um yeah i mean i oh and also too now did you see that this goes along with that the whole like miranda right thing no, I didn't see this. Are you you didn't see that either. No. I something I yeah. So something about Miranda rights or like you can't sue uh, a cop now if they make a mistake and they don't. Oh, I heard about this. so something was actually decided on this. I think so. Oh, I, I I'm not entirely sure, but one of um my friends was telling me about yeah something about the Miranda rights. I like I said, there's been so much uh, this week. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to look into all it of has. that stuff yet. So I mean, I'm I'm thinking, and I've said this on the show like the past couple of weeks, where I've just been you know the transition to summer for me has been has been weird. I mean, you know, my my wife got COVID right at the right as kind of school was like letting up, and that was. That threw everything into kind of you know kind of a different mode let's just say and then uh and then uh, transitioning into kind of where my kids what are my kids gonna be doing this summer and then a whole bunch of stuff has just been got me in that kind of space so i can't i, I can barely keep up and like I, and i literally the, like this week i'm just kind of reading things day after day and just like holy shit and like I was looking, you know, there's there's things that are happening at, at the cl the level of the climate right now. Right. Like you're mm -hmm. watching like, you know, the Colorado River Basin, all the kind of water. The, like they're saying that it's the worst drought in the last twelve hundred years. Right. Out west right now. And I, I could barely find articles on it. Right. Without digging, you know, was certainly not coming up in my feeds because everything else is insane. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it I means like that stuff is so buried like between the layers of craziness um, that is happening right now that, you know, th these long-term systemic problems don't even basically get the light of day half the time. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has been dominated by the, by the January 6th hearings this past like week and a half too. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of, where we're at, folks, uh, the Supreme Court stuff. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, maybe uh, do, talk, uh, chat a little bit about uh, January 6th stuff, a um, bunch of hearings that have been going out, uh, maybe talk some positive news on the student loan debt relief, although everything is in quotations with asterisks and footnotes when you have to kind of talk about these things. Um, and maybe we'll uh, kind of uh, get a little update about where we are in the uh, 
Wheel of Time sagas, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come here. But uh, this is Kevin Mahoney here once again with Amy Connect, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, be chatting about some of that stuff, kind of see where things are, uh, try to maybe leave us on a little bit of a hopeful note today on this very, very dark day. Um, and we'll give you information once again if we have any new information about um, kind of actions coming up today or this weekend. Um, so I uh, hope to see you at some of those. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. We're going to be back right after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1880. Chicago labor leader Agnes Nestor was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Her father had been a machinist and a member of the Knights of Labor. Like many other families of the era, the Nestor family moved to Chicago during the Depression that swept the country in the mid-1890s. Agnes went to work at a glove-making factory. At the factory, the women were charged for the power it took to run the sewing machines. They also had to pay for the needles they used. Agnes helped to lead a successful strike against these practices. The strike was supported by the men's union at the plant. Agnes recalled the aims of the strike, saying, No more machine rent, no paying for needles, free machine oil, union shop, raises for the cutters who were paid the lowest wages. Agnes went on to describe the day-to-day -day organization of the strike, saying, We joined the picket line again and held meetings every day and evening in the hall the cutters had rented. How important we felt. Speakers sent to our evening meetings were furnished by the Chicago Federation of Labor Organization Committee. After the strike had lasted more than a week, management sent letters to the employees, offering to meet almost all of their demands. However, they refused to recognize the union. The women turned down the proposal. And after 10 days, the women won their demands, including the right for union representation. In 1902, Agnes led the women glove makers on a campaign to form their own union. She also served as the president of the Chicago Women Trade Union League for more than 40 years. Agnes Nestor spent her life fighting for women's right to vote, the eight-hour day, and child labor protection. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken, here once again with Amy Connect. Um, so, uh, yes, I assume that everybody, uh, if you're listening right now, that you've uh, heard about the uh, Roe v. Wade decision that they've overturned Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court. Uh, but we've got some other things we want to touch upon kind of briefly today. I mean, I guess the, uh, the one bit of, say, positive news that um, I really wanted to highlight, because it just, just really does, does point to the effect of organizing right i mean because you have the debt collective and the folks that are organizing um to get rid of student debt to cancel student debt um that pressure um being consistently being brought upon the biden administration um basically to make good on a campaign promise and more to eliminate um ten thousand or ten thousand dollars in student debt across the board although they still are deciding about that 
Um, there was just another announcement this week by the um, Department of Education that they're getting ready to cancel an additional uh, $6 billion in student loan debt. Uh, for That'll be for about 200,000 borrowers who were um, kind of misled or defrauded by for, mostly for-profit college and universities. And that's a big step, right? Um, we saw an, um, $20 billion, $25 billion in student loan debt uh, eliminated um, for 1.7 million borrowers. Um, if anything, you're saying... You're seeing that, okay, the Biden administration has the ability to do this, right? That's what they're showing us. They're showing that they have the ability to do this. So the question is, what are they going to choose to do? And so far, it's been this targeted debt cancellations thing instead of across the board. They say that they were um, supposedly going to get an agreement on this uh, or a decision about if they're going to actually make good on their campaign promise to cancel $10,000 in student loan debt across the board by August 31st. Um, of course, they have to start talking about like... Um, you know, should we means test it um, only for certain people who meet these criteria? I don't know why on earth you would do that. Um, why would you just not make this simple, straightforward right um, here, especially if you have any concern whatsoever about winning an election in the fall? <laughs> right? So, I mean, why not say ten thousand dollars? You got student debt, ten thousand dollars. Done. Done. We're there. Boom. Here's your Biden check. Right. I mean, that's kind of the, the whole idea. So that's I, don't I mean, know why he hasn't done that beforehand. Like, I don't know why this is he's been talking about this since he's, he's been elected. And it's been this is ridiculous. Like, I, how many people would benefit from ten thousand dollars off of I would. I know I would. <laughs> Anybody who has gone to college for the most part um, would benefit from this. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, look, there's there's a few people who went to college and don't have any student loan debt. Guess what? Okay, they don't have any student loan debt, right? So they've got no debt, right? So you don't need to worry about those folks, right? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be resentful? I don't know, but they don't have any debt, so I don't know what they're resentful about, right? I mean, it's like, whatever. It's like those folks, I mean, the vast majority of people carry debt. Right. And, you know, again, like it said in, um, you know, this disproportionately. Right. Um, this will uh, and this is probably what part of the holdup is, is because they know disproportionately it's going to it's going to affect like black women are going to be helped the most. Right. By that kind of policy, precisely because they carry more debt from organizations that have preyed on them. <laughs> right. I mean, it's I mean, this is like this is why it's just it's it's so insane to me. But, you know, again, this is a classic like dem, like Democrat move. Right. Well, we need to we need to look at all the things we need to come up with a the perfect policy, which deals with all these, you know, moving parts and all, as opposed to just making something simple that impacts people's lives. Right. And popular and popular. And popular. Right. I mean. <laughs> Why you would like hamper, why would you like, you know, put on your kind of like, you know, uh, what do they call those things? Like the, the, uh, like with the goat hair shirts or whatever they used to wear. You know what I'm saying? Like a goat hair shirt, goat hair shirt or something like, oh, I'm, I'm getting the wrong. There's like, there's like, you know, these, like, there's these Christian monks who used to put on this, this, this fabric, these shirts with this like horribly scratchy, uncomfortable, prickly burlap shirts, maybe it is, right? Um, as a way of kind of like like recognizing suffering, right? So they would put it, they'd oh, have to suffer. Are you talking about the guys that that, that um whip themselves? 
Well, there's those two, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's those two, right? But something like that. Yeah, it's like who whip themselves and all that kind of. Yeah, the Opus Day people. We're going to go on those things. Uh, but yeah, no, but, but these were like these old, you know, monks. They, you know, to for penance, they would wear these like, you know, whatever, whatever Scratchy shirts they clothing? were. Scratchy clothing that would make them like have little pricks and pains all day long just to kind of like, you know, suffer for the sake of suffering. Um, but, you know, this I mean, it's like here you've got you've got like you, you've got the perfect like alignment with you have a stated policy goal right on your campaign to cancel 10,000, which is a pittance compared to what yeah. they could do. Right. I mean, even Chuck Schumer, Chuck Schumer, for Christ's sake, was was arguing along with Elizabeth Warren uh, for fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt forgiveness. Right. And so Biden can't do that. No, he's got to do $10,000. Okay, then pull the freaking trigger, right? I mean, why overthink this thing, right? Because I mean, that's what they do. That's oh what the God. corporate Democratic class does is, is it, it's never fast, right? They're, they're very afraid of too much excitement. They're very afraid of too much, like, enthusiasm so about weird. something. I don't know if they're afraid of being called radical. I mean, they're already being called radical, so... What's the difference? Yeah, it's like it's really they're they're like they're literally having an argument with like the 1990s Republican Party. That's I mean, that's what they're that's that's who they're talking to, because it's like that has no bearing on what our world looks like today to, to go. For the, I mean, all it does is tamp down excitement of any any potential excitement. Right. Um, that would motivate people to kind of get out and support you. It would it would kind of like reveal to the world that you believe in something, right? you know, and that are willing to act on it. Um, I, I don't know. Whatever. So whatever. But that's good news. I mean, it is good yeah. news. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear I'm happy to hear that they're going to go ahead and, and do some of that stuff. So. Definitely, definitely. I mean, every little bit helps, right? I mean, because like that debt, because like when you talk about a chunk of 10,000, it's not just like a chunk of 10,000. You're also talking about like helping, you know, lowering your interest payments and, and stuff like that, because that's 10,000 off the principal. Is right. that what it's Correct. supposed to be? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's huge. It's actually the point because $10,000 in, in a student loan is not $10,000 period. It's $10,000 plus the accruing interest. Yeah. Right. So it actually has, you know, has a longer term effect. So it's like, you know, especially for folks that are carrying that debt who are kind of new, relatively new graduates. Right. You know, who've graduated in the past, say, 10 years or so. That's going to help them, you know, like, yeah, there you go. Even even even, you know, disproportionately in some ways. Right. Because it's going to actually eliminate that stuff from the principal. Um, mm -hmm. But then, uh, you know, and so that th there's not going to be as much interest accruing. And frankly, for those folks who are at the other end of that, like, you know, I was mentioning the statistics at the top of the show who are like maybe in their 50s and 60s who are still have that student debt. All they have left is principal. Right. Because they've already paid all the interest. Because That's how these freaking, you know, loan sharks work. Right. That you have to pay primarily interest up front. Right. Um, because the banks want their money first before you start kind of you know, chopping down on the principal. So this would actually eliminate like, you know, you say they own twenty thousand dollars going to cut that in half. Right. So that I mean, that's significant. You know, um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to say that because of like, you know, historically unique circumstances of a, you know, an economic collapse in 2008 and a pandemic um, that we've just gone through that we need to, we need to reboot the system. So we're going to hit the reset button and eliminate all that student loan debt right now. Um, I'll tell you one thing that would, what that would do is that would, uh, that would help out a lot, a lot of people right away. So. 
I think it would. It would add a lot of financial security and stability. Maybe not, you know, um, uh, security, but definitely stability, right? Like you're eliminating uh, one bill a month, perhaps, or just like that amount of debt. You know, what's that going to do? Oh, well, you know what, Kevin? Because it's going to raise people's credit scores. God forbid. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can't mess with that. No, they're even they're even they're even saying that, you know, I heard this one random thing. I'm like, oh, my God, please don't please don't tie this together. But it's out there now. And now they're saying, like, well, if we put all that money back in the economy. People are going to want to spend it. And you know what's going to happen with then? Oh, my God, it's going to cause more inflation. (laughs) They're like, like you people are barking. I mean, whatever. whatever, Well, I think they need to start. I think perhaps maybe they need to address the price gouging issues that these corporations are doing so you think maybe that might help with inflation right there well i don't know exxon mobile has been hurting pretty badly for the past three years i mean uh their record profits aren't record enough (laughs) right so let me uh, let me shed a tear real quick yeah i'm waiting wait I, I'm not. I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, crazy. Um, well, so just uh, kind of, kind of real quick, and then we can talk a little bit more about. Uh, then we can talk a little bit about uh, Kim Bedillion and uh, Wheel of Time. But um, so, the just want to get your kind of thoughts at this point on uh, the January six hearings. And we know we were talking before the show a little bit. You've been watching um, kind of the full hearings through. Um, I've been watching pretty much just kind of summaries and, uh, clips, um, kind of in the evenings, but what's your take on things been so far? Uh, so I'm only on day three. Like I said, I haven't even finished all of it. They're very long. Um, they're Mm -hmm. drawn out day three, especially. Um, I, so this has to deal with Mike Pence, (laughs) um, and about, you know, the pressure that the Trump administration was putting on Pence to overturn the election and just like all of this, stuff um i i will tell you so they're doing they're making a really good case right i mean it is very apparent that this was not like a random thing that happened it wasn't like a spur of the moment people decided to like go and storm the capitol like this was planned like this was in the works like trump and his cronies and um uh uh uh, rudy giuliani who i found out was drunk apparently majority through like this whole thing <laughs> Which I hope is like a legacy that he will, uh, you know, hold on. I, I really do. I hope that's any good enduring. legacy that that man has had is now completely and it's been all thrown out the window. Um, I, I, I don't know. So they're, they've, they've done a really good job. I think the committee um, has done a good job of showing even in like by day two, you know, that this is, this is an issue. I mean, you have all these politicians who were like, asking for pardons you know they have staffers uh trump aides you know people who are close to him and they're like you know you can't do this you shouldn't be doing it like just basically and trump running with it and being like i'm gonna do what i want like that's essentially the gist i think of what this committee is showing is that the former president of the united states was like i'm going to pursue i'm going to keep going with these lies and hope you know, that this works out for me, that these supporters of mine are going to secure the presidency for another few years. Um, Because that's all I'm hearing. I'm hearing is people are like, even like William Barr, uh, the former attorney general, you know, and I'm not a big fan of his because he he supported and he let this stuff go for a long time. Right. But anyway, and he's talking about Trump and he's basically saying that he told the administration, you know, 
this is nonsense. Like the election wasn't stolen. Like this is this is all a bunch of crap. But I did take note when William Barr was talking, when he was giving his testimony, I was a little upset because he had made mention that one of the most alarming, like the, 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 the most alarming thing to him out of this whole process was how that Trump and his cronies were basically stating that the Dominion voting machines were somehow, if you vote for Trump, it's going to give it to Biden, right? Like they were somehow uh, calibrated to, <laughs> to, to, to rig the election. And that's what he was most upset about. This is what the attorney general, not that the president of the United States was talking about a stolen election, not about how he was not heeding at all to his staff, right? Like all he was looking for was a yes man like Rudy Giuliani right. to be like, oh, no, we can do this. Or Eastman, he was like, no, we, we can do this, even though Eastman was telling other people other stuff that we can't. It was just a mess. It's such a mess. And I, 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 I was really kind of like, I can't believe William Barr, the former attorney general, that's what he found most alarming out of this whole thing. Because he was saying the precedent, it's going to set. I'm like the precedent, like the precedent of the president. You know, right. saying that if I lose, it's because the system was rigged. That's not alarming. That's not like the first major issue that you have with this whole thing. And to me, that just shows you the disconnect of a lot of people in government, Democrat and Republican, but then also too mainly with the GOP. Yeah, 100 That was my takeaways, at least from day one to day yeah. three so far. Well, let me ask you this. I'm curious what your th or your thoughts are on this because I, I've, I've been going kind of back and forth on this and I, you know, trying to, uh, um, like, well, here, let me ask first. So, so and then, so uh, what, I, on the one hand, right, I think it's really powerful that you're having all these Republican operatives that are are testifying, right, for this, because it makes it very difficult to just say that this is just a kangaroo court or something like this, right, that you're actually, mm -hmm. these were the people in positions of decisions who are telling this story on the record, under oath, right, um, where, about what happened. And so, if it was just one of them doing it, be one thing, but just to kind of the sheer consistency of the story of all these folks coming forward and telling that is impressive. However, when, once we got to the, the Mike Pence day, as you're saying, right, um, <laughs> is it like Mike Pence gets kind of triumphed as this hero, right? And I, I, what do you think? Like on balance, like on the one hand, they're telling this compelling story about what's going on here, but there also seems to be like a project to kind of save the Republican Party, right? Yeah. Um, or or, or uh, let, me, let me say it not as not as direct as that because let's just say it's not a uh, without saying that it's a project to say like there does seem to be one of the consequences of this could be like people are going to walk away from oh see the Republicans aren't that bad it was just this guy. It was just bad man. How do you do you think these hearings will benefit the Republican Party in terms of being able to sidestep the blame for like, you know, decades that have you know, have put us on this trajectory? I mean, I'm curious. I don't think anything's going to change. I think they're going to go around it no matter what happens. Um, I think probably they're going to be like, oh, it was all Trump's fault, right? Like, I could see the entire party at some point 
maybe, maybe, or at least a portion of the party, like they've already disavowed him. So see, here's the thing though, Kevin, because like you have, you have two GOPs, like people, like I understand like the GOP has really gone down this like extremist right. path, right? But then within that, you also have other people who, who, like I said, who I feel like are a little like just disconnected with the seriousness of this issue, right? You have a judge who was speaking on uh, of day three, I think his name is Michael Ludig. I'm probably Ludigig. Is that Ludic. how it is? Yeah. Ludic. Anyway, you know, I mean, and you have somebody like him, and he's he's very serious about when he's talking about these matters. But then he also defines them as in, in terms of like constitutional mischief. Right. The constitutional mischief. Somebody just tried to, the former president of the United States and his administration, or at least a portion of his administration were hoping and actively trying to 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 overturn in a in electoral count process by by like by congress and this is constitutional mischief so i feel like right. you have such this large proportion of these people who are in decision making power spots right like like you know and they're not i just feel like the seriousness is being missed well, I that, guess, that's kind know, of what I mean. Constitutional I mean, mischief, and I feel like that the Republican Party they have a lot of infighting right now, right? Like you've got all of these extremists, and then you've got I would say mainstream Republicans, and I what I think it's going to happen is yeah, I think they're going to just sidestep it. I think either there's going to be a split, right, or you're going you're going to have everything blamed on Trump. And that's going to be the end of it. And then you're going to have, like you said, like the GOP is saved now, right? Because, oh, well, we got rid of that person or, or I, I don't know, but they're hailing, they're hailing Mike Pence, like you said, as that he did something unbelievably brave, right? And I don't think so. He did his job. He did what he was elected to do. He had a ceremonial position. I don't think we should be making this any more than what it needs to be other than the threat that the Trump administration posed to his personal being, right? Like his actual well-being and other people in Congress. Well, and I think like, but I, I mean, I look at it, it's, it's, he, he did more, he did more than his job, right? He did, he did the letter, he did the minimal thing that a human being would do in a situation like that, which is like, this is what you're supposed to do. Okay. I'm going to do it. Right. I mean, like, like that. However, in the four years before that, He's instrumental in bolstering up everything that led to that point. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what I mean. I don't think that they're going to hold. I don't think this is going to matter. I don't think the J6 committees, I don't think any of the hearings are going to matter um, for, uh, for I think, majority of the GOP. Because I don't think they're just, they've already been labeling it as a kangaroo court. You have these people who are on like the extreme right and they're like, it doesn't matter. We're going to, it this is, this is, you know, all of it's false, right? Like all of it's being falsified and you have a base who is so entrenched in these lies right. and stuff. Like, it's not going to matter. Like, I think it's good what they're doing. I think it needs to be done, but I don't think that it's going to change much for the GOP. Well, and I, I think what I worry about is this is like, is that, is that what should happen in my view at this point? Right. Is like the Republican Party should be tied to all this stuff that is going on, that it shouldn't just be Trump bad man. It should be this is that this is what this is what led to Trump bad man. 
Everything that Trump oh, did, yeah. everything that comes in here was dependent upon two decades, if not more, of Republican Party politics. The Republicans are the one when John McCain chose Sarah Palin. Right. As a running mate. And she was a freaking nut job who was tapped mm -hmm. into all these conspiracy theories. That wasn't the extremists in the party. That was John McCain, the guy who's championed as, you know, the guy, the moderate, the maverick guy choosing the ultra right wing at that point. Right. To basically to bring that base in. It has been yeah. the party that has been using kind of racist whistleblowing for like decades is a way to accomplish its ends. It's the way that it has kind of toyed around with the fascist ends of its politics in order to kind of achieve kind of electoral victory for the quote unquote mainstream Republicans. And so what I my, my biggest concern about these hearings is that it's going to let those people off the hook that we never get like because what happened, what should happen is like the Republican Party should be allowed to implode in my mind. Right. I mean, it should be allowed to implode and have to reward. They shouldn't be rewarded by having few people saying, look at those courageous Republicans who stood up for American democracy. That's basically doing what Nancy Pelosi said. We need a strong Republican Party. <laughs> right. And I'm like, look, the only the, I mean, the only one who doesn't think there's a strong Republican Party, Nancy, is you. They are the ones who are dominating politics right now. I don't know what you mean by they're not a strong Republican Party. They are a strong Republican Party. They're just not the people that you want to have coffee with. Right. That's all. That's all she's talking about. So the yeah. thing is, like, look, if in the past, look in American history, parties have have divisions. Right. And especially in a mm -hmm. two party system, they have divisions, they have schisms and they split. Oh my God, Kevin, we should do a whole segment on how the Republican Party actually formed. It's crazy, right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Right? And even like, I look at, you know, so things like things like that, that would be actually awesome. That'd be awesome to do. That'd be a lot of fun. I bet you a lot of people would be pissed off. <laughs> we should like, we should do something on that. That'd be. We that'd could be go cool. into the history of like the barn burners and yeah. all these people. Yeah. That'd be fun. All right. I'm making notes of that because that'd be that'd be a lot of fun because but you know, you know what I mean? So it's like it's like so I, we take a long view of history. Right. There are times which political these things happen in political parties. Right. And look, it's not up to the opposing political party to go in and play doctor to that party. Right. It's a, at that point, you should be exercising governance. Right. You should be concentrating on winning elections in order to kind of assert a particular kind of like vision of the world. Like if the Democrats are not completely destroyed and falling apart, then the Democrats should be able to step in and kind of like pass policies, not spend their time trying to rectify Republicans. Like I like let the Republican Party die as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I have. I mean, like, for example, if I would be saying the same thing, if you had a strong progressive component of the Democratic Party that threatened to split the party apart, right? Mm -hmm. If you had, like, I mean, you look at the concentration of right wing, like right wing, kind of off the cliff people in the Republican Party today, right? That's like you know the majority of Republicans, right, who are in or elected office. If that was true of the Democratic Party. And the Republicans are like, no, we need to kind of step in and kind of like make sure that the Democratic Party. I'm like, no, let it go. <laughs> the corporate Democrats have been holding us back long enough. Let it go. It's going to take some time, but we need to kind of build this this alternative. 
but, but you're right. This is what happens. Like we've gone through the country has gone through a, a bunch of different political parties, but we've had see we've had the Republican and the Democrats for so long. Yeah. For so long without having a serious third option yep. or fourth option. <laughs> so I don't I, I agree with you, though. I think that the Republican Party should implode because I think that's the natural course of what's happening. I don't think that the Democrats need to save anything. I think they need to just keep on with what you know their agenda is and let them. I, I, I But I do because I do see. Do you think that we're the, the Republican Party is going to lose a lot of party members? No. Or they're just going to chalk it up and be like, even even the mild ones are just going to be like, all right, well, whatever. This is Look, still just fringe people. There was that guy. Yes, sometimes. there was that guy Yeah, who testified. I mean, you, you might not have seen this one yet. So I think this was day four, actually. This one guy, he was the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the Speaker of the House in Arizona, right, um, okay. who talked about the, the threats the direct threats that he was getting that we had Trump on the phone. You have people on the phone pressuring him to overturn the elections. Right. And the guy was practically in tears. Like he's sitting there. His, his daughter was in the house with a terminal illness dying as people were threatening him. Right. And, and his wife and his family calling him, showing up outside his house, calling him a pedophile, calling him like all this. And this is a conservative Republican who had campaigned for Trump. Right. Going up. And this guy, his testimony was freaking top notch and was amazing. And I believe everything he said. He said, look, why would I violate my oath? The oath that I took to the Constitution, the Constitution that I believe is divinely inspired. Now, take that and put that in a box. Right. You know, because like, OK, he really believes like God, you know, you know, did this. OK, fine. But that's his belief. And so he's not going to violate his oath. And he's being called a pedophile. In, in I mean, this is like crazy stuff. Right. So he gets it. He gets in there. He gives like, by all accounts, the the star witness testimony for this, right? But then he gets asked, "Would you vote for Trump again if he gets the if he gets the nomination?" He's like, "Oh yeah." Are you serious? Yes. Okay. He didn't say that during the testimony. This said he was asked this in a separate interview, and he oh. said, "If he's the Republican nominee, I will vote for Republican nominee because the Democrats are the greatest threat to American freedom." Right. It's the same thing that Bill Barr said. It, right. This is what I mean. It's that the disconnect. Like, I don't see how you can't see you're still supporting this extremist stance by supporting it. No, but he, that's what I'm saying. They're already it. extreme. These people are already extreme. They're not the, they're not the like, I mean, why would you want to save that party? Right. And there's these look and I look at it like this. Look, if there's these people that believe the Republican Party is something other than those kind of extremist politics. Well, then guess what? Those people in the Republican Party have to form their own third party and run and run it. And because That's otherwise what I was expecting to happen. That's what I was expecting to happen. I'm not I I I, I, I don't know. I mean, I still no. think that there's a lot of infighting and it possibly could. But I think it really just depends on the trajectory of like where they go in the next couple of years. No, because I, I do see the majority of these extremist Republican uh, uh, politicians really taking control yes. over a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know, but then I don't feel so bad for some of these Republican politicians because I'm like, you guys made your bed, like lying. That's what I mean. Like, it's like, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I it that way, but because I feel like we should all be on the same side fighting, right? Like against the extremist stuff. But if these, if but that guy, that's, I didn't see day four yet, but that's, see that, see that right there, any, any, 
any empathy I have for him about being called a pedophile or any of that stuff just totally went out the window when he's like, well, I, of course I would vote for Trump again. Like, why? I know. Exactly. It's say, and Bill Barr gets up there and says that this is full of bullshit and all this kind of stuff. And then he's asked like a couple of days later, would you vote for, oh, of course he was the Republican nominee. I'd vote for, Trump. I mean, so you can't, you can't, that's, you cannot save that. Right. They're, I don't know why they, they think Democrats are so like the, the devil all the time because I don't understand some of like I get the polarization on some issues, but for like your everyday stuff, I, I don't understand a lot of this. That like I don't think that all Republicans have horns and are like, you know, actively trying to subvert democracy. I don't know why people think all Democrats are. Well, it's look, so strange. But that's because I really do think this is this is the 30 year project of the extremist, like the extremist taking over the Republican Party. That mm-hmm. ideology has it has infected the party as a whole at this point. And so that's why yeah. there's these people that are out there that are saying, oh, you know, the moderate Republicans, you know, the moderate Republicans, like even like, OK, the Brian Fitzpatrick right here, right? Mm-hmm. Bucks County, the He's moderate, moderate. Republican. But that's my point, right? He's, he's the one moderate. that exactly, but he's the one that gets held up. Yeah. By comparison, right? That guy is a moderate compared to that guy I just talked about. Right? But he's no moderate. Right? I mean, he is he kisses up to or is on the extremist end of kind of American politics as it is. So it's like, so why would I think what the Republican plans, all these like the Lincoln Project, the kind of like the no Trumper Republicans and all that kind of stuff. You mm-hmm. can start seeing this getting pressured on cable news now um, is that when they when they're having on, what they wanted to do is they wanted the centrist and the conservatives and the Democratic Party to do that work for them. And by and large, that's what they've done. And so like Chris Hayes, for example, this is uh, had I, I was listening to the podcast. I wasn't watching it. And mm-hmm. I, so I don't can't remember the, the woman's name he had on. But it was one of these never Trumpers. And uh, he started pushing back on her and well, the Republican Party. And she started getting mad at him. Right. Because say now it's time for Democrats to stand behind those Republicans and not and not run candidates against them be, the, for those ones who stood up to Trump. Why? Because they, do the same, but they would not do the same in the reverse situation. But Raffensperger, whatever's down in down in Georgia, stood up to Trump. So therefore, we should celebrate him because he's a defender of democracy. Democrats should not run a candidate against him because we need to stand behind people who are defenders of American democracy. That's the line that they're taking. Every elected official is supposed to be a defender of our democracy. Every elected official. Right. Regardless of party. Right. But they're playing some weird team sports thing. They're not playing whatever. So it's like, you know, here you go. I, I, that's one. Of the, anyways, whatever. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm really cl- I'm really curious about where this lands, because like I find like um, um, you have these Democrats, these high profile Democrats, some of them who are on that commission, who are going to give these interviews. And, and part of it's just a way that the, that the hearings have to be structured by interviewing so many Republicans. Um, and it just it has to be that way. Um, but then the other part of it is then, so they, they're referring to those Republicans, but then they're using the monikers of like courageous Americans, patriotic Americans, right? Stood up for what is right. And th- people hear those words. 
Yeah. Right. And they start being asked to, because our, I mean, I think part of it's our celebrity culture too. We're being asked to kind of like imbue our own desires into these people as minor celebrities. Right. And what we're, it's just, it's just a weird kind of situation that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about that's going to have a, a negative impact because it's going to basically, I think, convince some of those moderate Republicans to just go along, continue to vote Republican and not think about what their party has become. Do you think it's going to result in any type of indictments or anything, any type of, of penalty? I actually do. Anybody? I actually do. I think I, I think other that, than the people that were in the Capitol building, like the civilians. Like, no, I do. Like actual like, penalties of politicians. Yeah, that guy, uh, um, which is uh, I'm, I'm spacing his name, uh, Jeff, um, the lawyer that Trump wanted to put ahead of the Justice Department. Um, oh, I don't know his name. Hold on. Let me believe. There's so many people. Yeah, um, Jeffrey, Jeff Clark, Jeffrey Clark. He uh, he had uh, the FBI raided his home yesterday, right? Ah, um, and he's the guy who pled. They said this in the hearing, the hearing yesterday, who who pled the fifth, something like 140 times or something like that during the hearings. Um, so he had his house raided and things like that. So I think. People like Jeffrey Clark. There's some other names that are starting to come up. Um, that are Tom Wolf just called for the, uh, Scott Perry's resignation. Um, oh, saying, good. Yep, he said basically came out, put it on Twitter. Um, we'll see if uh, how it's going to make the news. Basically saying, uh, given the revelations that have come out during the January 6th hearings yesterday about judicial appointments and his role um, in all that, that he should resign. So. I think there's going to be some consequences, um, whether they ever get to Trump or not. We'll see. Um, my guess is that it doesn't get to Trump, but they're going to get him on like something stupid, like tax evasion. <laughs> like look, New York I, State's going to get him on something. Look, at this point, if they lock that guy up for the rest of his life, I'd be happy. So, um, yeah, but crazy. So yeah, so January six student loan stuff. You think they're a waste of time then? Like the no, hearing? I do not. No, no, I think that uh, I think. Look, because I, 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 I do think that. They're doing an exceptional job of laying out what happened, how it happened, who did what, mm -hmm. in the point that it makes it extraordinarily difficult to insert like like alternate narrative within that. And I do think, at the very least, the work that they're doing for the historical record and any kind of saneness that we might have in our future about being able to look at what happens in terms of the, you know, how a coup happens, right? Mm -hmm. How you, this is doing that. Um, and it's, that is, I think, absolutely critical. Um, now, I would go a step further to say kind of what the question you were just asking. I, I do think there should be people to pay the price, right? But I think the the bigger impact of what this what this is going to do is make it extraordinarily hard, hard for people to wiggle out of this. And the yeah. fact that, you know, you have people who have been outward denying any, like, for example, Scott Perry was begging for a pardon, right? Um, and he denied having to say this, thought it was ludicrous, say that this is a travesty and all this, but they've got, they've got the receipts. They've got the receipts of him asking for it. And he's still trying to deny it, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that makes it extraordinary when that when you have the record of the person asking directly and they try to deny it, you hold up their email, right? I mean, it becomes increasingly difficult for them to maintain that position. Fake news. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing I think I, I think that will have a lasting impact. I think that is actually going to have a, an impact on uh, journalism. Um, I think it's going to I think journalists, a lot of journalists were really emboldened by what they were finding. And the fact I don't think that um, the January 6th commission would have been as deeply cutting had it not been for journalists who were doing the work that the government should have been doing um, for a long time. Um, but then I also, on the flip side of it, I think the journal, there's going to be a group of journalists, at least, that are going to look at this and being like, that's what we need to be investigating. And it's showing you how the degree to which you need to be able to get to the truth. It's not just about asking this person one thing and asking the other person for their take on it. No, you've got to actually get the receipts to this. So in my, in my best hope, that's a, a rebirth of kind of like uh, a really kind of cutting, nitty gritty investigative journalism um what's that would be great um what's more likely is that you're going to have like um, a bolstering i think of that kind of critical skepticism um within some of the media core not everybody but i do think that'll help right so you know you know and for for you know someone like you too as well who you know knows history like likes history thinks the importance of history these things matter you know um for the long term i don't know how much it's going to help us in the short term however <laughs> So <laughs> that's the, that's the downside of history. It's, it's generally takes a while for yep. you to see changes and things like that. So <laughs> no, no, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so before we talk wheel of time, let's talk a little bit about, um, a favorite kind of like troll in the backyard, uh, Kim Bedillion. Oh. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I didn't even see this this week. I've been like, like I said, I've been just barely kind of holding together my life. <laughs> um, but you brought this up. She had a little email apparently this week. She did. I guess she emailed. So I'm, I'm part of like a bunch of different Facebook groups and stuff like that. Um, and one of them is involved with Penridge and it has somebody had uh, legally obtained a copy of, of her. They called it a manifesto. Um, and I guess you could, you could call it that. Um, but it was it was legally obtained by a right to know request, um, and it basically stated it was a letter addressed. I think it was the Percy Borough about celebrating Pride for the month of June um, and how upset she was about it, and how that she feels that it allows um, inappropriate sexual content, uh, topics about sexuality and gender um, that really that she feels aren't appropriate. I guess for Percy Burrow. So I, so her thing is, is against the whole pride celebration, right? She included pictures. She called out different organizations like, um, you know, the rainbow room, <laughs> which does amazing work down in Doylestown yep. for the LGBTQ uh, plus community. Um, you know, and she's really harping on this. Now I, I, I'm not, I don't live in Percy. Right. Um, but I have not really heard that there's <laughs> been problems with this before that, no. you know, people seem to enjoy it, right? Because she also had put in there too that like, you know, there was a children's tent that had books in it and they taught there was books, you know, that promoted same-sex marriages and relationships. One of them she specifically put out there was Worm Loves Worm, which I thought was just adorable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's crazy because these. They, she reminds me of the people that were harping on uh, the mouse, right? The graphic novel, because it showed apparently 
a naked mouse and that was totally inappropriate for children you know and and she's because kim bedillion um and she speaks i guess at the penridge meetings the all meetings. the freaking time yeah i don't make all of them i do i was supposed to go to the one this week i did listen into it a little bit um some things had come up but yeah so this is the letter i mean and it's available so i mean uh i should probably i wonder if i could share that like regular like outside the group and stuff. But that's the type of person. Like she she's harping on this and it's crazy because her son, I've heard speak at the Penridge board meetings and he likes to talk about all of this as well, but he doesn't even have children in the district. They go to private school. Yep. So I was told. So Yep. And Kim Bedillion is the one that basically um um caused the huge uproar on the kind of uh on the DEI around the DEI committee. Um by uh basically attacking uh dante um oh, i'm spaced his last name but the, basically um, dante and adriana king yeah 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 D dante king and adriana king basically attacking mm -hmm. them directly um by making up some like you know money laundering kind of narrative about their juice business right i mean it was like freaking crazy um and she was the one who basically instigated that oh she said that the profits basically were being used from their juice business to fund to funnel DEI. into her nonprofit, right? All this, yeah. whatever. I mean, it's yeah. just like, whatever, but here, here's a little, here's a little, uh, a taste of Kim Bedillion's email, uh, to Jeff Hollenbach, who's the mayor of Perkasie. Um, she says, she prefaces by saying my understanding, the borough council passed this resolution making June pride month, blah, blah, blah. But then she comes in following the passage of the resolution on uh, June 26, 21, a Perkasie Pride Festival was held within the borough. Of concern was the fact that the festival, which focused on sex and sexuality, had portions directed towards children. Those children. For instance, there was a children's book tent that contained, among other things, books concerning themes of sexuality and radical gender theory. Boys can be girls, and in parentheses, boys can be girls, girls can be boys, and they can be both or neither. On, on parentheses. One such book was Worm Loves Worm. As you may be aware, worms are known to have the unusual characteristic of being both male and female. Worms are not humans, but the implication that gender can change and or is fluid is being made and directed towards impressionable children. <laughs> That's the beginning of her email. I like how she puts out that that worms aren't human beings. Yep. She, it's good just well, yeah just so you know to impressionable children might then think that gay and lesbian folks are not human beings <laughs> right so i mean like exactly. jesus christ oh my god this is i'm telling you this place is just it's just gonna get it's just well it's like we've been saying for a long time now it's, this is not going away right this is not going away um crazy Crazy, crazy. Well, so thank you for bringing that to my attention this morning because sure. that's, uh, you know, it gives me something to kind of like love hate at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So, uh, so, Hey, let's talk, uh, just briefly where, where, uh, what's happening with the wheel of time. How are you doing with that? I'm doing all right. It's a big book. So I've already it's read long. a couple. Yeah. Like I had previously read some of the chapters beforehand. So I was basically rereading it. I'm up to like chapter 16. <laughs> um, Which is like the middle of the book, right? It's like, yeah, it's like, it it's like the big, huge thing. It, it really is. But I will tell you, I, I, I definitely, 
I'm gonna have to say, so I don't, I don't like Rand. No, I, I yeah. <laughs> in the series, I don't like him. I don't mind him so much in the in the story, um, but I did like how the series put a big focus on Marine. I think there's a little bit more of her in the series than there is in the book, and I thought that was nice. I thought that was a really nice twist, um, you know, to bring out her perspective. I think a bit more. Yeah, I like, I mean, this This is one thing, I think I maybe mentioned that to you, that that for me was like the big, I was surprised, I had not read the book at all, right? So I had watched the series first and it went back to the book. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the one thing that I, 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 I missed was that um, you started, you know, so much, so much of the book, um, at least, you know, this is the first book in whatever the 11 book series or whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, But the, uh, where, you know, it's, it keeps with that kind of coming of age stories of this boy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. That's not the, that's not the thing, but I, I found, you know, I'm not a fan of Rand either, right? In either the series or the book, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm uh, just... See, I don't mind him so much in the series that the, or, or in the book. The series, I just don't like the person that they picked for him. He, he's just... I agree. I, I don't see him as the same character from the book. No. Not at all. No. Not at all. He's a matter of fact, the fact that in the series, I'm sorry if we have any, I should have said there might be any little spoilers here for people, but there is, I mean, I'm being very careful not to kind of go into like major plots things here, but the, uh, the, um, the fact that he was of all the characters on the series that he was like clean cut and, you know, you know, that was, that for me was like completely not believable right from the get go. Just as a, just as like you know a casting and directorial choice kind of thing, right? Yeah. Because um, I I think that you know I, I mean I didn't even know if he I don't I didn't like his attitude I didn't like the way he you know he you know whatever some of the people liked it was fine but I and maybe this colored the way I read the book too as well because I couldn't quite get that out of my head um, as I was reading. Um, yeah. So. Well, and that's the, I always have that problem. See, if I read a book first, right? Like I always, like that's the impression that I have of the character and I have, that's how it is with anything. You already have like a preset, cause you know, perception of how somebody right. might look or how they might act or something like that. And then you go to a, a, a televised or a movie and then, you know, you have casting choices and stuff and you're like, God, like what were they thinking? Right. <laughs> like, that's not the person I thought at all. But I did like Moraine. I do like the, I forget the, who did they pick? to who plays her oh, i forget yeah. her name i'll look it up i i, I, I do I, like yeah. her i do like the, the cast pick for her but i like i said i did enjoy the series um it, it's a little i think they focused a little bit more on the feminine it's like rachel something aspect right? of it considering how much power yes. the females have in the book <laughs> i'm looking at series cast here we go rachel it's yeah. rachel something isn't it is it rachel oh no roseman pike Rosamund Pike is her name. Yeah, she's a lot younger, too, than I actually thought she was. But anyway, she, yeah, I do like her as her uh, pick of, as the casting pick for her. So I did enjoy that. Yeah. But like I said, the series is good. The series is rushed. That's all. But it's, it's, yeah, this is a big book. I mean, you could probably do a couple of seasons in one, in one one story. I'm excited to see the next series, but I do want to finish up the book though before the next season comes out. Yeah, I, I think that you know I, I agree what you say. Um, with Moraine is that she was, uh, I it's funny. I it's like I had I had this uh, other layer like one 
yes, I agree with you that um, having her as the kind of the where the series begins is with her and not mm -hmm. with Rand, I thought was mm -hmm. for all the reasons you just said, I, I 100 percent echo that. Um, and um, I thought it actually told a more compelling story that way, too, as well, because like she's the one with the history, with the background, with, you know, can see the bigger picture. Right. And that's built yeah. into what her purpose, like her character's quest in many ways is in the, you know, both in the book and the and the um, the series. Yeah. So that I really liked. And the other thing that I thought was interesting about her, her as a choice is because um, I, it took me a while to warm up with, to her character in uh, on the series. Right. Um, because she was so kind of flat in terms of the way that she was presenting it. Right. The way that she was kind of acting in the beginning. She just the way she when I read the book, I was like, holy shit, she nailed it because it was like that was that really was her character. Oh, right. Yeah. And so much about how she's described in the book and how her role is. I was like, oh, that it was like so it went from kind of like, oh, I'm really glad they did this. I like her character. I wasn't quite as like there with her kind of early on in the series. And then when I read the book, I was like, holy shit. It was like, she does an amazing job of capturing her character. So. Yeah. I mean, and she's not very likable. I think in the book, in the beginning, like she is very like, she's very in control of the situation. Like she's got, and she doesn't tell them everything. Right. Like, so she doesn't tell, I don't right. want to say kids, but <laughs> she doesn't tell them all, all of what's happening. And she does come off, I think, as cold, a little cold, right? And you discover later on that she's not, but. Right. And she also is also kind of like, I also think she comes from, you know, she is a, uh, she, she's, she comes from a more of an upper class background, I think, too, as well, in terms yeah. of how she gets in there. Yeah. And also she's incredibly disciplined, right, in terms of how she disciplines herself and her yes. thought process and all this, which what you saw in the series, I'm like, Oh shit, that's her. I mean, that's like, you know, so, Oh God. So, okay, so no, no, there. sorry. Um, good. Like these phones ringing and things like this next to me, but that was really good. Um, the only, the character that I tell you, I wanted to love. I, and, and I think, this is, I think, Robert Jordan, the author of it, was his not knowing how to write her was uh, uh, Nynaeve's, Nynaeve, yeah. I, I don't know how to say it, is like, I didn't like in the series how, like, antagonistic she was toward, like, immediately. I found that, yeah, I found that to be something, I was like, that doesn't seem like her character at all. Yeah. And I think, and I, I also think that that's, that gets kind of pushed in the book too. You know, it's like he writes her as a little bit more kind of like just unpredictable. I liked her more in the book than I did in the series. No, no I shouldn't say I liked her character a tremendous amount. I just thought yeah. in the series, I thought like, I loved her. Right. Um, except I was like, why is they having her do this? Right. Why is she like immediately like hand on the knife? Right. When she walked in the door, you know, it's like, you know, I, and, you know, you get to that unpacks a little bit more better in the book, but I would have loved to see more room given to her character is basically what uh, I would say. Yeah, maybe in the next couple they will. I mean, I've never even opened another book of his. I haven't, you know what I mean? So I'm not sure how it's going to. Yeah. How it's going to play out. Yeah. I am kind of curious to see how the ending of the book goes, though, considering I have seen the whole series. So I'm kind of, <clears throat> I don't know. 
like I said, I'm just I'm I'm really hoping they do something with his character in the series because like Rand is just like, he really is killing it for me. Like I like everybody else for the most part. <clears throat> I'm not going to give you a read one way or the other on that because I just I want to hear what your take is on it. Yeah. I have uh, I can't wait to have that discussion because, um, <clears throat> um, yeah, it'll just be kind of interesting to see how like, um that kind of you know those points of comparison to what they did in the series to because you know very much in the series we you know um well no i don't want to do any spoilers i don't want to say anything <laughs> to anybody who wants to watch watch the show um yeah well because... I, I will know so the opening right of the book and then the opening of the series i i do think that they gypped the character though rand on because in the book they do now you said you have a, your copy is a little different than mine but they have um See, in mine, they immediately start out with Rand and and his and his father, and them, like, he he's instantly confronted with like the darkness, right? So to say, like the dark figure and stuff yeah. like that. And I really think that they did a disservice in the series by not opening with that. You know, yeah. I think they could have given at least five minutes of their time to something like that because I really do think that that like, because in the series I was watching it and I was like kind of confused at first because I, like I said, I didn't realize what I was watching was this book that I had started reading because there were, you know, differences and stuff like that. Um, and then it didn't occur to me until about halfway through the first episode, you know what I mean? But I, I do, I did like the fact of how they introduced Rand and his family, but I will tell you though, the author gives it away in the very beginning because I don't, I don't know if I should say too much, but he, he talks about, like you can tell who's going to be the one, yes, right? Like exactly. I think he immediately gives that away. Like there yep. is no doubt in my mind. First chapter, second chapter aside, of like yep. you know who the main character is going to be. Yeah, the series much better about that. Much, yeah, much better they do about leave that. you like questioning a little bit, and then in the book, it's like divulged like immediately. Yep, 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 yep. And I think the way that you learn, the way that you learn it in the series, right, is awesome. Right. It's like, number one, I'll say this. It's my favorite it's fight different. scene of almost any freaking like fantasy thing that I've ever seen in my life. Right. I think that uh, I, I actually watched the behind the scenes uh, about that, about the opening scene. I think it's like episode seven or something like this about how they did camera work and everything from this. Because I, I was like so taken back by like just the choreography of the scene. Um, and it was like, uh, I, I, I shouldn't even probably said as much as I did already, but it's like, I mean, I found it like amazing and painful and horrifying and like, and like, like, you know, um, emotional all at once. I mean, it just was, it was incredible. <clears throat> so, yeah. yeah, see, I see, I wasn't feeling any of that, but that's like I said, that's because I already knew who it was, right? Yeah, like when yeah, the series yeah, yeah. started, I already knew who it was going to be. And I was like, well, why aren't they? Like, what's with all the guessing game? But it did make it interesting, and it did add, like, a whole different perspective, and I think it allowed you into some of the other characters, maybe, a little bit. Maybe 100%. a little bit better than I, in the book series. Oh, than, totally. No, so. I think that um, it's that – let me go back. I am I just – I'm horrible with names, but, like, like – Oh, um, I am too. Um, Egwin, right? Yeah. I think her character – was robbed in the book um, compared to what we see in uh, in the series because because of what exactly such a strong force in this in the TV series totally and yeah. she was as an she was a great actor I mean her character was great she was awesome 
And like, you know, I'm like, I'm looking for, I was, she was like another one. I was like, I was like, I wonder if she's in other stuff because she was just an amazing actor. Um, all these actors too, as well. I think that we're just with the exception of Rand. (laughs) I feel so bad saying that, but. I was disappointed because I instantly didn't like him. And I I didn't feel that way in the book. Right. Like, and I'll tell you, like, I, I don't think that there's a particular character so far that I don't really like in the book. But I do like in the series, I just can't get over that. I just, I was like, no, like he's, I don't like it. He's too angry. He's too irritable. I just, I wasn't feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to, the other person I I love, I I love in, I rewatched the series. When I finished the book, I rewatched the series. Yes, I did. Did you sleep? Uh, 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 Well, that's, I had, I had about two, two and a half days, like of the kids still being at school and, 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 and me having time, like no one else in the house to do this. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like blow through it all. So I did. Um, And so I rewatched it and, a Matt's character, yeah, I love. Yeah, I love his character. I liked his character. Yeah, he's and the actor who plays him in. I, I have a, a, a the second time seeing it. I didn't really cue in on this as much the first time I watched it, but the, I think reading the book and having some of the background here, I like what they did with him. I think even more in the series, but uh, that actor I thought was tremendous. I mean, the way that they played the role and the way that they set up that character within the series, it was different than the book, but yeah. um, in, in a bunch of different ways. But but I thought he was great. Um, and I, I did like the storyline that they, they put on him in the in the series. I thought it was really um, like super, say, believable and compelling as in terms of his kind of backstory. Um, I think so, too. I think it definitely was. I I. I trying to think i like how they did so i i really enjoy in the tv series how they really made it a point though that the power right like this power that like maureen has and then the theme some females have how like disastrous um damaging it is for for the men of of this world right and how it like consumes them and how it like just changes them and makes them like just these (laughs) nasty people and power hungry and it's and it's just interesting i always kind of felt like it's a little bit of a mirror of our own society you know what i mean about how like yeah i don't i I, maybe we should probably not go too much (laughs) (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there we promise everybody but yeah, that's really, really tremendous. Well, well, good, good, good. Um, I have to say, I'm going to, so um, for everybody too, I said this last week too, I'll say it again. Uh, so I'm going to be on vacation for the next couple of weeks. So um, we are um, taking an uncharacteristically long vacation this year um, that I think we kind of need it. So um, I'm going to try to throw up um, a couple um, back back episodes, right? Um, just so there's something kind of coming up for folks. And then when we come back, um, then um, hopefully then we'll be able to have come back with Amy if, if that works out with your schedule, depending on where you're at. Um, that Friday when we come back, if not, be kind of the week after. Um, for those of you who know, Amy and I, we've been talking and trying to do this on a more more regular basis where I'll, she'll come in kind of um, twice a month, which would be freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll get start getting my schedule straightened out too as well so it's not going to be so uh, chaotic as it's been. 
Um, I've got a bunch of people actually, I've started getting um, emails from folks that want to come on the show for the interview thing. And uh, really my holdup at this point is just finding the time to do this. And I think that what's going to happen, just FYI for everybody out there who's still hanging on, um, I may end up doing some uh, uh, daytime interviews, right? So basically it will be po- be I'll be posting the full interview um, and I'll uh, they'll still be live. Right. But it's not going to be at a consistent time. So they'll be the final versions of the podcast will be posted on a consistent day of the week and that kind of stuff. And then where possible, um, usually on our Patreon site is what I'll do is I'll um, I'll put out a link and it'll be on the public Patreon. Right. So that, you know, uh, people want to follow us there, too, as well. Uh, I'll post a link if people want to watch it live. Um, and then when it goes live, I'll tweet it out too as well. So if people do want to join live, but I recognize it's, that's going to make it a little bit tricky for um, folks to join on a consistent basis. But I think it's important that, uh, again, I've had enough people contact me looking to come on the show, um, folks that I want to have on the show that um, I need to find some way of doing it. Um, just So just know it, it'll be a little bit more uneven throughout the summer months. Um, but I want to make it happen, um, to make sure that those things get out. Um, ideally, um, if I can, I'm going to try to keep, uh, try to keep the Wednesday evening time in, in mind, um, to kind of do instead of a Monday one to do a Wednesday one. Um, there's that also, I just found out unexpectedly. I thought that, that my daughter's soccer went longer than it does, but it may be the case that if I'm reading the schedule right, that when I get back from uh, vacation, that my Mondays are going to open up again. If that's the case, that solves a bunch of problems. Then I'll just go back to Monday nights and that's, that's a easy go. Um, so I'll let nice. everyone. Monday yeah, nights are good. Yeah. I, I think it's a good, it, <laughs> I mean, the one, the one thing that's bad for me is that it conflicts with the, the school board meetings, which is, you know, yeah. that, that's one thing, but um, it works best for my schedule, um, around here too, as well. So I'm hoping that I can keep that going. Um, but I'll just want to let everybody know that. So look you, for that. You could always set up at a school board meeting. I could, except, <laughs> except the, uh, you could set up. Well, no, I've thought about that. Right. So I've thought about, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I used to, I did a lot more, I've done a lot more, um, kind of, um, kind of short stuff that I've recorded in the past. Like I used to go to, uh, like when, when, I, when I used to go to a bunch of different, um, kind of events and so on, I used to always bring my, my equipment and, uh, I would do on the spot interviews with people that'd be willing to do it and, uh, do kind of little Facebook live updates, um, from what was happening. Um, and frankly, it's just, you know, the, the only reason I'm not doing that as much now is just life happens right i mean it just uh my kids schedules change dramatically as they get older which you know made it a lot more difficult to do certain things so it, oh, yeah. it is what it is um but yeah i mean i that that's one of those things that i'd love to be able to go and and talk to people and i you know to you know talk to people going into the meeting talk to people coming out of the meeting to actually recording some of the meeting although you know we, we can just record the uh the video that they do so Anyways, um, I also, talk, I, I'm no shortage of ideas. I'm limited on labor. That's my, <laughs> that's, my <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? That's always the perennial problem with this, with this work, um, for there. Um, one thing, one of the things I was going to say, I was going to say, um, so away, look for those things. Um, I forgot. So, uh, oh, I know the one thing. So I'm going to be on a way. So I, I am going to start two new books. Right. Um, so I have to say this too as well. I mentioned to you the um, um, the the bone shard uh, bone shards 
wait, what is it called? The Bone Shard the Emperor's Bone Shard's daughter. daughter. The Bone Shard's the, daughter. The Bone Shard yeah. daughter, right? Um, I'm reading the second book in that series called The Bone Shard oh, nice. Emperor. Yep. Um, so I, I would highly recommend this to, um, um, to folks who are looking for some. It, again, it's another it's a, another long book, um, just so you know. Um, but it moves, my personal opinion, it moves a lot more quickly than uh, the Wheel of Time does. Um, uh, just in terms, it has to, it's a stylistic thing, and it also has to do with Bone Shard's daughter is um, is also a long book, but also the printing of it, right? It's like it's not as many words on a page as as, <laughs> <laughs> as the Wheel of Time. So, um, but it's by Andrea Stewart, and um, it is. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but uh, what's really cool about this book is. Uh, the depictions of gender, right, of are just much more fluid, right, um, than we have in our current like world, right. So that you know you have relationships between like two women, two men, uh, you know, or partnerships that are kind of not say strictly kind of marriage or, um, but still committed, right. You know, so all this other kinds of stuff, and it's not remarkable. Right. That's the best part about the book. Right. It's not yeah. something that's like, oh, my gosh. Right. It's just or drawing attention to it like you really need to understand that these are both women. Right. No, it's just there is built into the world. Right. Um, and so it's a I think for me in this current climate where we see such attacks on LGBTQ um, history to see this to be inhabiting a world where it's not post anything. It's just the way that world works, right? It's the way that world works is that sexuality and kind of like um, strict kind of gender laws are just not part of the world building, right? So it's really cool book. And it's a great story, right? It's a great story that does all sorts of different, different kind of kind of magic systems and things that I've ever seen before. So I'm reading that. Um, the other nice. one that I'm reading, I'm really excited um, um, to read is um oh god come on let me see let me just bring it up here real quick <clears throat> um it's adrian i'm gonna i have to look at i have to look at this guy's name to get it right because it's um it's long and russian um let's see come on come on come on give me my order list let's see I just got it. It's a it's a novella. So if you're looking for a break from the long books, um, it is here. It is. It is uh, by Adrian. Let's see. Oh, eight. I should have gotten this. Adrian Tchaikovsky. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Not hard, right? So uh, whatever. Adrian Tchaikovsky, and it's a book called Elder Race. Um, he did one of it's kind of like a mix between it sounds fascinating it's like a mix between science fiction and fantasy um and the premise is that you have there's some kind of catastrophe i haven't read any i just read about it so far so i haven't read the book yet but will on vacation um that there's this planet where the it, the, the planet is at risk right and there's this woman who's um you know who who's kind of a little bit of an outcast in her like in her town or community or whatever like this but someone who believes in the power of magic right so and she's thinks that that there's this wizard who lives up on the um on this mountain right that can be helpful in in saving the world 
right? Um, and so she's convinced of this kind of stuff, and it, it builds this lore of apparently this lore of that kind of magic system and some of the belief systems in here. Meanwhile, that wizard that's up on the hill is not a wizard, right? He's an he's an anthropologist, right? Who's sent on this thing to observe these quote unquote primitive people. <laughs> right. And is casting himself as this. So this belief system is he's been integrated in this thing. And so he's from this highly technological advanced cool. civilization who's going to this planet to observe them. Right. But also sees that there's this problem with this world. And so it's just this kind of like this dual, this dual part. And he's also an outcast from his thing. He hasn't been around any other people for like, you know, like years. Right. He's set on this remote planet to do this thing. So it looks like this fascinating thing. I read some of his other work. And I, I'm really excited about this because I read this other this other book of his where um, it's a spider planet, right? There's these no, spiders no. that, yeah. Well, no. but I'll tell you, there's these spiders no, that kind no. of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done yeah. <laughs> they it, it 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 doesn't start as a spider planet. It, like these spiders start to kind of like whatever. But you, if you can imagine, if you have to try to kind of construct an entire like species highly intelligent species that is nonverbal, right? That expresses itself and communicates through kind of like vibrations on webs, right? And stuff like this. And to make that believable, he did it. Like, and like, I mean, literally being going through this book, I remember reading it and a friend, my friend Seth said he loved this guy. And so I, I read this book, you get part of the way through it and suddenly realize like, oh my God, these spider things aren't talking to each other and I'm in their heads, no. right? The care, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. So I don't know if I can do that one. I don't do spiders. If you don't like spiders, you will not I like spiders. I do not like spiders. And, and it's not even like spiders of like, you know, the, the spiders of like the horror spiders, right? It's like, it's not even like that, but still it's really freaking creepy, right? You have to know a heck of a lot about spiders to make this, this species believable in that book. So no. anyways, <laughs> no, I that one. <laughs> all right. So anyways, uh, but anything else you got on a, on a book list or anything like that? I forgot to ask you about this before the show, but yeah. A book list. Um, I always have a book list. Yeah. There's always stuff that I, so I like dabble, you know, like I'll like go between books and stuff like that. I'm still reading uh, my Pearl S. Buck book, <laughs> uh, Dragon Seed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm such a huge fan of hers. Uh, and that's a really good one. Um, I do believe it actually takes place. Uh, I'm going to say, I think, because Pearl S. Buck is really good about not, specifying time and placement in her in her novels mm -hmm. um like specifically i'm gonna say this is about like the roundabout maybe the rape of nanking i'm not sure it's mm -hmm. hard to tell i think i think um but it's a really good book it's called dragon seed uh, i'm trying to think if there's i always have um octavia butler she's on oh, my reading God, list I, love her. I i've only read one i read wild seed um i want to read the parable parable of the sower yeah, the Parable of the Sower. I haven't read that one yet. Amazing book. <laughs> and then I have a couple of other ones, more like political style books um, in my library. What's a, I'm trying to think of that one that I haven't, I'd have to look through it. I just went and redid my whole office and stuff. So like everything is everywhere. <laughs> All my yeah. books are like piled on the floor. So 
Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I think everybody should read that Sun and Moon, the one that I had told you about. That's always a really good one. Yep, that's on so, my list. Especially if somebody's looking for something different, unusual, yep. and funny. It is a funny book. Yeah, I need so, more humor in my life. I need more. Yeah. Humor, yeah. <laughs> well, if you need more humor in your life, have you ever read David Sedaris? Oh, love David Sedaris. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, I yeah. Him. He he makes me chuckle. Yeah. I think he he's absolutely does. freaking hilarious. I mean, I like, I like, yeah. I like. There's, there's few, there's few things that I read that I'm like literally like bent over laughing, and like, yeah, he is one yeah, of them. Yeah, he, he, he definitely does. I started reading him back in high school. He is hilarious. Oh my god, um, he's my, my wife's a huge fan of his too as well. And then, uh, so <laughs> I read a couple of his things, and she's like a real fan. And then so then I read the rest of his stuff. I was like, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. His I I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in his family. So oh my god, can you believe? It? I mean, can you even imagine? I mean, him and Amy Sedaris. I mean, them those two together and like in the same space. I mean, right? I can't even imagine. I know. Well, other than that, um, I was gonna say I don't really have any other books that I'm currently reading, <laughs> or at least attempting to read. So. Um, but I did want to make, oh, so I got a message. I just wanted to, to reiterate all of yeah. the protest times for yeah, today. Please, please. There is, um, there is going to be a 5 PM Newtown protest at representative Fitzpatrick's office for anybody who is interested. And then again, the 7 PM at Sellersville at state street and temple Ave. Uh, and then also at 6 PM at Bucks County, uh, the, the old courthouse, uh, protests on the sidewalks at court and main streets. Uh, let me, while you're doing that too, I think I just got another update. Um, let's see what we got here. This is, um, okay. So for those folks who are more in Philly, um, the, let's see, we have got, uh, I'll just read the message. Uh, this is Z from Philly DSA. Um, Supreme Court has ruled to overturn Roe v. Wade, criminalizing abortion. There's even an anti-abortion constitutional amendment being considered in Pennsylvania. There may have been, uh, yeah, there may have, they may have the courts, but we have the power of the people. Can you join us today, 6.30 p.m. at City Hall to rally for bans off our bodies and abortion on demand without apologies? Um, that is today at 6.30 at the City Hall. Um, and who's this one? Let's see. Oh, this is just freaking people want me to sign things and that's different than an action. So, yeah. And people need to, to, to stay tuned and pay attention because there's, there's going to be a lot of activism going on. Um, especially like you just brought up the constitutional. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, I seem to have lost. Amy. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm oh, here. Oh, my fault. I accidentally I accidentally clicked something and and Twitter appeared where 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 you were. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you you were just saying that um there would be lots of stuff that's coming up including like this constitutional amendment or so on. Yeah, I just I people need to, to to stay tuned and they need to pay attention to um I know that there's like I mean social media is a really great spot to 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 get information for, for protests and stuff like that. Um, and that's all the ones that I have. I know I'll be posting on my Twitter too, all of the, the protest times and the different events and stuff like that. So, 
Fantastic. Well, listen, we, yeah. uh, we hope to see uh, some of you out there at one of these locations. Um, it'd be great. Let us know where you're going. If you have more information uh, about other events that come out, feel free to um, kind of hit either of one, either one of us up. Um, mm-hmm. Find us on our find on our socials and make sure that you kind of um, and we'll kind of help tweet it out and kind of give some uh, signal boost to that. So, uh, Amy, um, always awesome uh, to have you as my co-pilot <laughs> for these Fridays. And uh, so I guess I, I won't see you for the next couple of weeks, but I'll see you online and then uh, look forward to seeing you back uh, on the flip side of vacay. Yeah, right. It's always a pleasure to be here and enjoy that vacation. I'm going to do my best and hopefully going to come back in a little bit of a better headspace that I'm in now. So uh, in the meantime, everybody, I hope to see you in the streets. Um, Look for actions that are closest to you and uh, don't let the time go by this weekend without making sure that uh, you're showing up somewhere um, because we need everybody right now um, to uh, put the pressure on. All right, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Um, Great to see you all. Remember, you can help support this show by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, This is Kevin sitting here once again with Amy Connect, and uh, we will be back with you in a couple weeks. All right. Here we go, everybody. To the streets. (laughs) Got to have it. It's a dark day, but we hold the power of the light. So let's get out there. See everybody. Let me try my people call.